Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be and has wanted to be for 100 weeks, Victory Lane! <laughs> An early reggaeton because we have reached the mountaintop, everybody, and when I say we, I mean I. Episode 100! I shouldn't just say I, because there are some homies that have actually been here since the start. Mom, Dad, to name a few. Kathleen, I know. Heather and Diego, former guests on the show. Robin, if you're listening, of course she's been there for, well, most of it. Probably doesn't listen, but that's okay. One of my number one supporters. I love all of you guys. Seriously, been so fun doing this podcast every single week for... Almost two full years now. My God, it has been quite the whirlwind, and I uh, I can't believe I made it to this point. Seriously, I was like, eh, I'll do it for a little bit, but man, we made it to the mountaintop. So I thank you guys sincerely from the bottom of my heart to help me get to this point. But today is episode 100, triple digits. I'm so happy we got there, and we're still paying homage to somebody because even though we've had triple digit numbers in NASCAR, we're going way back to the number zero. I personally would have talked on David Rudiman because that's who I associate with two zeros in NASCAR. But Papa Siegel decided to go a little bit of a different route, which I'm sure is to please some of my front stretch homies. Take a listen to this week's Wayback segment. Thank you, Duve, and congratulations on your 100th Victory Lane 2.0 podcast. You have good reason to be proud of the work you've done, and all of us in your fan club continue to be your biggest supporters. Now... Getting into three-digit territory presents both challenges and opportunities for this part of the podcast. It was common in NASCAR's early days for drivers to sport triple-digit numbers on their rides, but those days were short-lived and stats are sketchy. So I'm choosing to use the challenge as today's opportunity to highlight someone you've likely never heard of before. Delma Cowart ran a pool and septic tank business in Savannah, Georgia. He used his day job to finance his racing itch, once trading Junior Johnson's engine builder a swimming pool for a race engine. Cowart primarily ran the Zero car, thus the connection to today's episode with two zeros in it. He ran 21 cup races in the 80s and 90s, but he made a name for himself off the track. He qualified for the Daytona 500 four times, and each time threw a wild party that old-timers still talk about. After qualifying for the 92-500, Coward came out with his trademark quote, I ain't ever won a race, but I ain't never lost a party. It seems to have been true. Benny Parsons once told of the legendary party Coward threw after qualifying for that race. Parsons, who was no stranger to a good party himself, said, I don't think Delma showed back up at the track until Sunday. You need further proof that Cowart was the clown prince of racing in his day? He joked that he picked the number zero to make sure his car number matched his chances of winning. Asked in 2015 if he'd do it all again, 
Coward said, I wouldn't trade it for a million dollars, but I wouldn't do it again for a nickel. That's a good one. And so are you, Duve. Keep up the good work. We're proud of you. Kachoga. Back to you. Thank you, Dad, and thank you, Mom. <laughs> we were talking after she recorded that because it's supposed to be Kachiga, not Kachuga, but, you know, Mom's Mom, and it's been a while, so I'll give her a pass on that. But episode 100, off to a great rousing start. On the show this week is Jeff Gluck, somebody I've wanted to have on for a long, long time, somebody that's meant a lot to me personally and professionally, one of, if not my biggest mentor in the business, and I am just so excited for you guys to hear our conversation. We laughed, we cried, blood, sweat, and tears, the whole nine yards. Literally one of my best friends in the media center, which is crazy to say for somebody that's been a mentor to me like Jeff, but before baby number two came, he gave me almost two hours of his time, and I'm so grateful for it. It's going to be a little bit of a different show since we're doing a bit of an episode 100 extravaganza. No best of because I don't have a staff. It's me, myself, and I who do this show. We're going to do a short recap, skip the Bristol Dirt preview because we'll save that for the Front Stretch podcast this week. Go listen to that after you're done and hit on a couple lug nuts. But without further ado, let's do this right. Episode 100, get it started with another good old-fashioned reggaeton. Okay, quick and efficient. Ryan Blaney, he steals one from Kyle Larson at Atlanta Motor Speedway this past weekend. He did have the speed at the end, but I still think Logano may have had something to do with it. Blaney says not really. Larson also says not really, so I say fine, not really. Let's hear from the winner, though. For the fifth time in his career, YRB is in victory lane. You know, you're always kind of saving, right? You never know when cautions are going to come out and when they're not. But, uh, you know, yeah, we fired off after the last green flag stop. And, um, yeah, it was going to be over a 50-lap run. So, you know, like, you know, I, I, I do need to save a little bit, you know. And even if you do get a caution, if you save a little bit and not lose a lot, um, you know, you'll be fine. So, yeah. And I knew our, our strong – uh, area of our car was not the short run. You know, we, we weren't that good on the short run. Uh, we could just kind of maintain, uh, not with Larson. He would drive away, but just maintain with everybody. And then after 15, 20 laps, we'd kind of start coming forward. And then towards the end of those longer runs, we'd really start coming forward. And um, that we made a big step on that in the last stage. And, uh, you know, just getting tighter. I was pretty free all day and, and we were getting, be able to get tighter and, and, keep the rear tires under it. It looked like he was getting pretty free. So just able to drive up and um, get a good run off three and four and, and uh, get by him. His 10th runner up finish on a mile and a half track. He just wasn't his best when he needed to be still. What a freaking dominant day in performance from the five team and Kyle Larson. I mean, no, I was pushing the whole time. Um, every lap really from when I left the road, I was trying to get a, a, out to a big gap, but I never really did. You know, I, I think I extended it a little bit, but um, not nearly enough. So, you know, where before the other green flag stops, you know, I could exit pit road and I feel like I'd gain a few seconds um, over the course of like 20 laps. And it just, I was hoping it was going to be like that. You know, I thought, you know, me having to race him and pass him was what used my tires up the, the you know, little run before. 
Um, but after the green flag stop, it was just, you know, he was just really good. And, and I couldn't get out to that gap that I could earlier in the race. And um, ultimately just had to race my, or run my tires too hard to try and get that gap. And then you know, I didn't have anything there at the end. Also got to give a call to Justin Allgaier for holding off a hard charging Martin Truex Jr. in the Xfinity race, as well as Kyle Busch for putting a whooping on him in the truck race on Saturday as well. Told you, quick and efficient. That's what we do on episode 100 for the extravaganza. Let's throw it over to the main event, Jeff Gluck. I was thinking about breaking it up into two parts, but the more I thought about it, I said, you know what? He's on baby watch. He's actually not on Twitter at the time of this recording because he's on paternity leave. But I think this should be one episode. It's going to be long, and I understand that. I hope you guys listen for the duration. It's well worth your time, I think. Some incredible, incredible stories from Jeff in this episode. I'm telling you. I mean, everything from his introduction to journalism, catching the racing bug, covering NASCAR at its peak, and some of the crazy stories associated with that. That one time he got Brian France really mad and what happened in the aftermath. And we got pretty deep about how patrons on Patreon with JeffGluck.com changed his life and allowed him and Sarah to have Liliana and now have Kaya. I can't wait any longer. I've said too much. Here is my conversation with my mentor, the Athletics' very own Jeff Gluck. He's a hat wearer sometimes. He's a poll tweeter most of the time. Quiet pick taker, 12 questions asker, Jeff Gluck is finally on the show. I got it. I'm, I'm clapping and hitting my leg because as I just told you off mic, you are my number one guest. I've had you waiting in the wings for a while and before baby two comes along, who knows by the time that we listen to this or you're listening to this, maybe baby two's already here, but I'm happy to finally have you on Jeff. Welcome to victory lane. It's been a while. Well, first of all, thank you. I feel like really a lot of pressure after hearing that intro. Like <laughs> it's going to be very tough to live. I take up it to all back. I take it all. Back. The high expectations. Yeah, like I'm going to be like, oh man, uh, boy. Everybody's like, oh, this guy. Okay, uh, let's. Uh, he seems to have a good intro here, and it's going to be like, oh, what was that all? What do you about? mean, this guy? Everybody already knows you already. Uh I don't know about that. You People so? listening to this probably know. They're OGs. Okay. Well, hi everybody then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm serious though. You are my number one because as we'll get to, you've been a big help in my career and I, uh, I wanted to relive yours a little bit, get some fun stories, get some tidbits, maybe some information about you that others may not know. So what do you say? Let's jump right in, Jeff. Are you ready to test the waters? I'm ready. I'm a big fan of yours. So I'll, I'll answer anything you got. Okay. Well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Let's start all the way back. Little Jeffrey, growing up on the West Coast. Um, I'm curious how familiar you were with NASCAR and motorsports in general, because obviously it started as a regional sport. And as you know, it still is trying to expand into other markets. So where you were growing up, how familiar were you with NASCAR and auto racing in general? I don't think I knew anything about it. Um, hmm. I don't, I'm I don't know if I even knew who, I mean, I guess Jeff Gordon wouldn't have really been around yet. Cause I, I was born in 1980. So growing up in the eighties and you know nineties, um, you know, I, I don't think I knew who Dale Earnhardt or Richard Petty were. I wouldn't say I'm hmm. pretty definitely. We never watched a race or anything like that yeah. in my house. Um, I lived, grew up in the San Francisco Bay area and, but you know, I say that 
like that's, that's the indicator of people who wouldn't know about racing. But then my elementary school classmate, Justin Marks, <laughs> he obviously, I mean, knew about racing when he was growing up. That was a thing or two. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we were in the same class in elementary school, so I can't just say, well, where we grew up, nobody knew about it. Um, I definitely, I mean, my friends that I would hang out with and stuff all through elementary school, middle school, no, we never, I mean, it was never a thing. And then when I moved to Colorado, even for high school, I, I don't really recall anybody ever talking about it or watching it. So, um, yeah, I was, I didn't grow up with it at all to answer your question. So what were you doing as a child then? Were you a sports guy or were you more so just like happy go lucky, whatever comes my way, I'll do we whoop de doo. No, I was a huge sports guy for sure. Um, I loved baseball, um, loved football. Giants fan? I started as a as a Giants fan because that's that was a little bit closer to us and my uh -huh. dad would take me to games. But then when we started going to A's games, um, I I quickly went to the A's and gotcha. when they had the, the Bay bridge world series that was interrupted by the earthquake. And I was at game three with my mom, my dad oh, was wow. on a business trip and, uh, we ever never got to see the game cause it, we were, we got hit by the earthquake, huge yeah. earthquake. But, um, when we went to that, it was at candlestick park and I had my A's turtleneck under my giants <laughs> like thing, because I was worried I would get beat up if I didn't wear giant stuff for some reason. I was only nine. <laughs> but, you know, I was just like, oh, I can't wear A's stuff like to the Giants game. People are going to like, I was just scared or something. I don't know why. Um, but sounds like Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I, I don't I wasn't exposed to any mean fans or anything like that. Right. But I just thought that like seeing in cartoons or something that, you know, other fans would get mad at you. So, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I, lo I love football for sure, too. Um, hockey, the San Jose Sharks moved to um, California, right around the time I was mm -hmm. in middle school, I think. And, um, I don't really think I only went to like one Warriors game, but for the most part, I, I love baseball and football. Just didn't really know about NASCAR and like that. So we talk about the Blazers all the time. Cause you lived in Portland for a little bit, but are you still an A's fan? Are you still a Sharks fan? No, um, it's weird. I, I was super hardcore about, you know, the 49ers, everything like that. Right. And when we moved to Colorado, it was right before high school. So I just finished eighth grade and all, you know, I lived all those kids, everything that I had grown up with and my way of coping with it. I, I mean, it's obviously an immature way now looking back on it, but it was just completely cut everything off from sort of like my past life. Hmm. So like I immediately went to like all Colorado teams and I immediately, like I pretty much lost touch with almost all my friends pretty yeah i'd say all my friends from that i completely grew up with hmm. like boom vanished because at that time when you're you know 12 13 years old and that's kind of a big upheaval you know to yeah. just right in the middle of everything i i guess instead of just being like oh I'm, i really miss california or whatever um i really miss my friends that i grew up with i was just like nope i don't miss them i'm happy where i'm at now look i'm i'm all about the new teams and yeah stuff. yeah so um then i went to you know, Broncos and Rockies and mm -hmm. Avalanche and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird, you know, obviously looking back on it now, I'm like, man, I wonder how, what happened to my friends. I wish we would have stayed in touch. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, at least you got Justin Marks. Yeah. But I, it's funny <laughs> because when he, we weren't like, you know, I knew him, but we weren't like necessarily friends or anything. Right. Like hanging out at each other's house or, or something growing up. And I remember 
Toyota brought him around when he was a truck series driver. They brought him around at Daytona and they're like, Hey, uh, you know, would you like to, you know, meet this truck series driver or whatever? We're trying to get him introduced to some media. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm like, Oh, where are you from? You know, he's like, Oh, I grew up in Northern California. I was like, Oh yeah, me too. And I was like, I was like, where'd you grow up? He's like, Oh, Los Altos. I was like, what? Me too. (laughs) And I was like, what elementary school did you go to? He's like Loyola. I was like, wait, Oh wait, Justin, wait, wait, what? You're a NASCAR (laughs) driver. Like it was like, you know, like I hadn't thought of him for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. I was just like, Oh my God. Like that's crazy. That's unreal. Yeah. That was really strange. Wow. That's crazy. It's also an interesting uh, coping mechanism. Like you said, I mean, it's, it's a unique one for sure. One that I've never really heard before, but that's like, at least me, that was like my worst fear as a kid. Like my two worst fears were like mom and dad get divorced and like, we have to move somewhere and I have to like leave all my friends behind. Like those are my two worst fears. So I imagine that it, I mean, as you said, it wasn't easy for you, but you got through it with the Rockies and the Avs and sports was your escape in a way. Yeah. And it was a good time too, because I was, I was starting high school. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot, you, when you go from middle school to high school, a lot of people, you get new friends anyway, yeah. essentially. Right. Like a lot of people are starting over and they make new friends as a freshman. So, um, I don't think people are like, that's the new kid who just came in. I mean, I could have been just from another middle school or something. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the timing was good. And, um, you know, it was just, it was just weird. Like, the the earthquake was the catalyst for us moving my mom got like super super spooked after the earthquake and it was bad i mean did a lot of damage not to our house necessarily i mean we had mild damage minor damage i guess but um you know my mom's like i don't want to live here anymore after this so she told my dad like hey start looking for new jobs and a few years later we we moved um Mm. she's just like i don't i don't feel comfortable living here and you know waiting for the next big one or that could be worse you know so I was kind of, I wasn't scared, but I was, I was definitely a little bit traumatized by the earthquake. So, um, it definitely changed my life. You know, I was like, okay, yeah, we're, I'm fine moving, you know? Yeah. That makes sense. Have you ever experienced another earthquake after that? Or was that the only one? Not a big one. Um, just minor ones. And then of course I'm, I pull like the, Oh, well that was only a, like 3.5. I've been in a 7.1. You're one of those guys. So like, yeah, I, it comes out of me. It's it's very like obnoxious. I'm yeah. like that was nothing, you know. But um yeah, it's like it's like, you know, you've you've survived like a car accident or something and you're like, you know, you get into a fender bender and you tell your friend, I survived like a you know, I had to be pulled out with the jaws of life or something. This was nothing and your friend's like looking at his ruined bumper. I mean, just that's you don't say that, but I do <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to everybody that's heard that. Uh, that's funny. All right. Well, I'm glad we got your childhood uh, childhood story out of the way. I am. I, I, I genuinely am because we talk a lot, but I, I never knew a lot of that stuff. And when I saw that you and Justin posted that uh, picture of your elementary school class photo, I was like, what? So I needed to get that story. <laughs> um, so let's fast forward a little bit because I have a lot of ground I want to cover with you. So we're okay. going to fast forward from teenage Jeff to, well, I guess still teenage Jeff. Let's go. To, let's go back to college. We'll live our glory days. The great state of Delaware. Go Blue Hens. Go Joe Flacco. I don't know any other alumni besides you. Um, Joe so, Biden. Oh, okay, that was that was my bad. <laughs> Hand up on me. Joe Biden's literally like twenty miles that way from me in D.C. So that's on me. Okay, Biden and Jeff and Joe Flacco. That's the big three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. So you graduated from there in 2002, uh, just to age yourself. I was six years old at that time, by the way. 
And right. um, you're welcome for that. And I saw that you graduated with a bachelor's degree in, I believe, communications. It wasn't journalism specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's right. So was was there any thought process behind that in terms of, ah, we'll just get calm and we'll see what happens? Did you have any ounce of journalism on that on your radar at that point? Yeah. Well, the main thing is Delaware didn't have a journalism school or journalism program. So, okay, uh, that'll do it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but I didn't, you know, I went to school and I was like, I'm a, I want to be like a baseball broadcaster, which thank God I didn't go down that route because I don't you have a face a for radio, but I, I do have a face <laughs> for radio, but I don't have a voice for radio at all. So, um, you know, I don't have like the Mike Bagley, Dave Moody type voice. Mm-hmm. No one would want to like sit in their, their summer evenings on the front porch, listening to my voice describe what's going on in a baseball game. So I don't think I would have made it very far. But um, it just so happened that, like, I, I always thought I sucked at writing. So I never even thought about being a sports writer at all. Hmm. I never, I think I got like one A um, in high school at all on any English paper. But I think looking back, it was because it was like compare and contrast Shakespeare talking about this, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Sucks. And I'm just like, nah, I'm just not into this. So I would like just wait until the night before, do the bare minimum. Yep. And I just wasn't into it. I didn't have a passion for it. So when I got to English classes in, in college, it was more of like my first semester there was more like creative writing or something, you know, it was sort of opening what you wanted to write about. Right. And all of a sudden, like my first college paper of, you know, I got an A on it. I was like, wait, what? It's like, I thought college was supposed to be harder or something like, (laughs) and my, my teacher was like, no, this is great. Do more of this. And I was like, what? So, um, really my whole life and everything turned around when I was looking at the, course catalog for second semester and I was thumbing through and I was like, all right, what, what class do I want to take uh, for freshman year here? And um, they had a class called sports writing. And it said in the course description that you would get to go to Phillies games and Sixers games as part of the, as part of the class and, co- and quote, cover them. And I was like, what? I'm that's in. a class? Like, that's ridiculous. I can't believe that's a class. <laughs> But it was like a 300 level class. So you had to email the professor to like mm. get permission or whatever. So I emailed this guy, uh, Bill Fleischman. I'm like, hey, um, you know, I, can I get into your class? And he's like, okay, well, come meet with me in my office and bring all your writing clips from your newspaper experience or whatever. You're I was like, like uh. So the night before, I like watched some college football game on TV in my dorm room and wrote like a story off it. Um, <laughs> It was so bad. It was really bad. I think it was like all one paragraph. And anyway, um, so I brought it in and, you know, I brought in my English papers that had A's on them (laughs) from first semester. And he's like, all right, listen, he's like, you know, I I, I can let you into my class, but you, I'm going to have to have you start writing for the school paper, like at the same time, like I can't have you not with any experience in this. This is for like journalists who really want to do this profession. So I need you to go sign up for the school paper, like right away. Um, I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. He's like, you know, I see you have a lot of enthusiasm, so I'll let you in and we'll see how it goes. So, um, you know, had he not done that and sort of taken me under his wing and pushed me that direction, I don't know where my life would have gone and, and all that stuff. So, um, you know, you, it only takes one, one great teacher, one great professor, Mm -hmm. I guess, in life to, sort of change things, change your path. But um, I'm glad I, I found that one. And forgive me for not knowing for sure, but I think um, Bill, the, the that professor you're talking about, you visited him a couple times and he covered some races at Dover. Did he recently pass away as well? 
He did pass away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that was really tough because he would, he was wintering in Florida and stuff. And so, uh, I would go down visit him during speed weeks every year, him and his wife. Mm -hmm. And, um, I actually, um, Sarah and my daughter, Liliana, who you've met, um, when she was, I guess, three or four months old, I brought them with me to, to speed weeks. And, uh, because I didn't want to leave them for like two weeks, right. You know, there with the newborn and stuff. So, um, I actually got to introduce them. Uh, and it was just only a few months before he died. He, we didn't even know he was sick or had a recurrence of, of cancer at the time. And then mm -hmm. a few months later, it was just like, boom, he was gone. And, wow. but you know, so those, those pictures are really priceless, but yeah, we actually got to cover races side by side together because he was the NASCAR writer for the Philadelphia daily news. Cool. And you know, at the time, I mean, I remember him trying to get me to come to races at Dover. He's like, you should come cover a race with me. I'll get you a credential. I'm like, nah, nah, I'm just NASCAR. No, nah, no, nah, I'm not into it. Well, I remember he would, we had an overhead projector, which I don't even know if they had, if you even know what one of those is. You Elementary know, school, I but, had him, yeah. Okay. He would put his NASCAR stories up on the overhead projector in sports writing class. Oh, wow. And um, he would be like, and we'd like sit in the back of the class and snicker and he'd be like, NASCAR, oh my God. <laughs> Professor Fleischman, stop, please. You know, um, so then obviously later, it was a total coincidence that I had gotten into NASCAR and when I started traveling, and I'm going to Dover races and he's there and our seats are next to each other. That was wow. like such a cool thing, you know, full circle like, moment. It really was. It was really, really neat. Um, that was really a lot of fun. And he would cover some Pocono races as well mm -hmm. too sometimes. So um, it was, that was a really rewarding experience. I'm glad I got to uh, do that before he, he passed away. Yeah. I, I just remember seeing some posts from you about that. I think when he passed and uh, seeing the impact he left on you. So that was cool that you got to experience that kind of full circle moment with him so he he wanted to bring you to some races at dover was dover since you were obviously at school at delaware was dover the first race that you went to or covered or was that somewhere else in north carolina no because i never went i never took him up on it and i do remember one time in college there was this girl in one of my classes that kept talking about nascar and i was just like oh no no and she's like let's go to a race um, and she really wanted to go, like we thought, all right, it, I think it was September or something. So we were like, all right, the Richmond race is coming up. And so I went online and tried to get tickets. This is a, at the time when Richmond had like, you know, 105,000 seats or whatever. Yeah. And it sold out. I, I could not get a ticket Man. for Richmond at the time, sold out hundred, whatever thousand people. So I never went. So my first race wasn't until, um, I graduated from college. It was Rockingham, wasn't it? Rockingham. Yeah. yeah. I remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 2004 the last Rockingham race right so you so you graduated from Delaware you went straight to Rocky Mount North Carolina as a sports reporter um well first I first I actually <laughs> intern this this was like a totally random thing I guess but I actually interned with the Phillies during spring training uh -huh. um so I I basically begged I used Professor Fleischman's name to call up the uh, Phillies director of media relations and I I <laughs> I was like, Hey, listen, I'm a student of, of Bill Fleischman. And, you know, I'd really like to, you know, I don't have a job. I just graduated from college in the winter semester. So I'm not doing anything right now. Mm -hmm. Like I'll drive myself down to Florida. I'll put myself up at a motel. Like, just let me be there. And they're like, okay. Yeah. So I was a <laughs> media relations intern for the home games. And on the road games, I was, I helped with the equipment guys. So I'd ride the team bus. I would put the helmets in the dugout. I would put the bats in the right place. Um, I would wow. listen to the guy. 
like be honestly like pretty shitty people uh for the most part <laughs> most of the players were not very nice um very free madonnas and total assholes really honestly so is this for it. spring training or was it for the actual season because you yeah, said you went down for to spring Florida. training okay in, got in it clear water yeah um and while i was in Clearwater uh working with them i i had gotten an, um I got the call from Rocky Mount. So I just like, all right, okay. I like left with two weeks ago in spring training and just drove up North Carolina. So, um, yeah, then that, that's why I was at, I didn't, you, you, when you're Eastern North Carolina at, at a small paper, a tiny paper, it was mm-hmm. like 12,000 circulation for my first job, but the, you know, obviously it was to cover high school sports. That's why they hired. Yeah. Me. That's just what preps. All yep. the papers do. Yeah. But the beautiful thing about it is on your own time, you can do whatever you want. So, um, I was like, Hey, let me go cover ACC games. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it on my day off, but I'll write for the paper mm-hmm. and the paper's like, great local ACC coverage. Great. You know, I'll go cover some Panthers games, um, uh, minor league baseball. Um, I got to cover like Miguel Cabrera, uh, Dontrell Willis. Cool. Um, yeah. When they were in double a, so, and then NASCAR as well. Like that was really what started it. I mean, my editor was like, why don't you go cover NASCAR? I'm like, nah, like, again, I, as you know, as I said, from my background, I didn't care for it at all. Yeah. And he's like, no, you never know when you're going to need to know how to cover all sorts of sports. You know what I mean? Like could be lacrosse, could be field hockey. You need to know at bigger papers, you're going to have to be say, Hey, can you go cover this? So I'm like, all right, all right. And that, that was when, as I've told you before, I think that, you know, I, I really, it, everything clicked for me at Rockingham. And I just was like, I got to keep going to more races, you know? So let's dive into that a little bit deeper. That was your first race. You said, oh, four last race ever at the rock. I never was able to get there. Obviously my dad, I think went to one race there. So that's an interesting place to see your first race. Um, an interesting vibe as well, because that was the last race there. So take me back there. If you would, if you can remember it, like what was going through your mind? Was everything just so new and loud, shiny, colorful. And you're just like, this is a whole new world that I never knew existed. Mr. Professor Fleischman was right. I should have taken him up earlier. <laughs> like, just take me back to that day and what you remember about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I had watched the Daytona 500 the week before Dale Jr. won, um, just to sort of study up on who these people were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I had also known at least names because part of work in a small paper, you've got to, you know, do the layout and design and put the AP stories in from the races and, you know, it'd be like, oh, Matt Kenseth won or, or something, won, right. won the championship or whatever. Okay, yeah, great. You know, so um, I, I knew a lot of the names going in already. I didn't really know about, too much about how it worked necessarily. But, yeah, you go there. And as a sports fan growing up, I mean, a racetrack is like an even bigger football stadium or something, right? Mm-hmm. So if you like a football stadium or a baseball stadium, you walk into a racetrack, even Rockham, which wasn't huge. But to me, it was like, oh, man, this is freaking awesome you know like this this the size of this place is cool and then i distinctly remember um going into the driver's meeting i don't know how i would have even known like that I, that i could go there or how i got in there how i knew when it was or yeah. where it was um i must have followed other media people or something in there yeah and i remember seeing like you know jeff gordon and dale jr in street clothes in there and being like wow you can just like get right up to the drivers essentially like before the race that's wild i remember seeing Richard Petty walking around. Um, and then I remember there was like a little platform on top of the media center. You could sort of climb stairs. Martinville, Martinsville used to have something like this too, that they blocked off since, but you could stand up on top and in the infield and see 
the whole race. So I would go and I don't, you know, I don't think I had a scanner in like that at the time. So I don't really know what's going on. So I go out and I remember seeing Carl long flip down the backstretch, like with my own eyes. Yeah. It was that race. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Oh man. And then like he comes in for his interview or whatever on TV interview. And he's like, Oh yeah. You know, I saw uh, fans and I was flipping so high that I saw fans in the, in the, uh, stands eating chicken wings or whatever. And I'm like, that's a great, like, this is crazy. Like the cars are fast guys flip and they get out and they're talking about, Oh, I saw fans eating chicken wings and Richard Petty and you know, the access and the noise and the speed. I was like, this is cool. Like, this is so cool. So, you know, I went back to my editor at the newspaper. I was like, okay, I want to go cover more races. And they're like, yeah, all right, great. So, I mean, Darlington was close and they had two races a year mm-hmm. um martinsville charlotte three races a year you were Richmond, hooked two races a year yeah i was just like dude let me go to as many as i can and obviously for a high school sports writer you know you're doing a lot of stuff um you know wednesday afternoon you're going to cover a tennis match or you know friday night football or or yeah. you know stuff like everything's during the week for the most part so you know i would get up early 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 sunday morning four or five a.m you know drive to Charlotte, watch a race, drive all the way back that night. Um, it would be a long day, but I would just, that would be my day off. You know, who was your first big interview that you had one-on-one in NASCAR? Well, it, you know, it, it was weird because like in the Rocky Mount days, I didn't really have any relationships or anything like that. Um, and didn't, so I didn't really, you know, talking to a driver by myself, I just didn't really have the opportunity. Um, and when I got my next job in Southern California, mm-hmm. um, funny enough, like the guy that was hiring, he was hiring for a high school sports writer, uh, at the newspaper near Fontana. But when I had sent in my application, my column, I'd started a weekly NASCAR column and it had gotten picked up like syndicated by this newspaper company. Mm-hmm. And so he had been running it in his newspaper, huh. essentially like he, so had he been knew reading you. it. So he knew me and he's like, Hey, I'm actually, this, this guy's name was Lewis Brewster. He actually passed away same year Fleischman did. That was a bad year a couple years ago. Um, but, um, so he's like, listen, I'm the main motorsport trader at the paper and the sports editor, but I know you. And why don't you come sort of like be my backup motorsport trader and cover high schools at the same time. And I was like, boom, sold. So as soon as I get out to Southern California, he's like, Hey, listen, I'm going to send you the Phoenix race. We've got this guy um, making a Bush series start. Who's a local, um, from Chino Hills. And can you just try to go talk to him? Like he's probably in a start and park car, but try to go talk to him and, you know, let's get something in the local paper for our local guy. It was David Gilliland. So, um, this is before he was even in that car that he won with, mm-hmm. uh, at Kentucky. Like it was in, in a really bad car. And so that was like my first NAS, the first driver I knew in NASCAR because nobody was talking to David Gilliland at the time. And, you know, he was still an unknown. And then all of a sudden when he wins Kentucky and he was our local guy, that was a big deal for us. Yeah, huge. So um, I started doing lots of David Gilliland stories. And then he gets to cup and it was like, that was even a more of a reason for me to be able to go to races and like, hey, I'm going to go to Sonoma. Oh, he's making a cup start at Sonoma. Like, let's get get some David Gilliland coverage in the paper, you know? (laughs) Love it. So, uh, yeah, that was my that was my first guy. It's so funny every time he I, I see him at the track now. It's just like, man, like I knew you back when, you know. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I think it was uh, 
I guess it was Phoenix last year when he won the the Arca race, and you I think you mentioned something about that uh, in one of your comms or, or something, maybe a tweet or something. So I was like, oh okay. When you were telling that story, I was like Chino Hills. I'm trying to think. Oh maybe maybe it's Gillen, and boom. Yeah. So yeah, uh, and I mean I t- I remember uh, seeing Todd or meeting Todd. I think when he was maybe five years old or something. I mean he was yeah probably. Was yeah. So that that's been pretty weird too to just to see yeah. him. I mean, it's not like we're tight or something, but no, right. Yeah. Grow up and then drive and, you know, be a NASCAR series himself. You're like, I mean, same thing with Chase Elliott, probably. I mean, your first race was Rockingham 04. Bill Elliott was still kind of in his heyday back then. And Chase was at the track almost every week. Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I guess I didn't pay attention to driver kids at the time, but yeah, I'm sure he would. Why would you? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I I don't know, but you're right. You're right. It's, It's just a weird yeah. I always thought, oh my God, I hate the people who be like, oh yeah, I saw, I, I knew you when you were a kid or whatever. And now I'm like, I knew Todd Gilliam when he was a kid. And you're like, oh man, that just, that's <laughs> how, it's like telling people about the earthquake again, you know? Yeah. You're just one it's of like those nobody people all over that. again. Yeah. 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 Nobody wants to hear that. Yeah. So you mentioned you moved back out West to the, uh, I believe it was the Inland Valley Daily Bulletin. Is that what it was called? Yeah. At the time newspapers were starting to consolidate um and this chain uh they were doing a thing where they were owned by the same owner san bernardino's son in the inland valley daily bulletin and um they had one sports section shared between the two even though they were two distinctly different papers now i believe there's like six or seven papers around that area and they all share the same sports section and like I think they designed the front differently, but everything inside is it's, it's really sad how it's been so consolidated because yeah. as a, you know, you're, you're buying your local paper because of the local coverage and getting something that you can't get from the LA times or whatever. Right. right. So you want to read about your local guy from Fontana or Ontario or whatever. And um, you know, it's, it's just been diluted a lot. So that's been sad, but yeah, at the time I was the high school guy for the inland Valley. So um, I stretched almost to Riverside. I had all the Fontana schools, um, almost over to where, uh, where Pomona is, was like the limit uh, where they run the NHRA season opener yep. and finale. Yep. Um, so, it, but it was great though, because my, my boss, Louie, he was so, he was such a great mentor about motorsports. He would take me to NHRA races and he would send me to NASCAR races and stuff. So, you know, that sort of, I'd done most of the races in the Southeast and now I was getting to do you know, Phoenix, Vegas, yeah. Montana, Sonoma. Covering your bases. Yep. And so that was, that was a really cool experience as well. All right. So we got Rocky Mount. I think you were there for a couple of years. Uh, your second job out of school behind the Phillies uh, media relations intern. Learn that nugget today. And then you move back out West with the Inland Valley. Um, so at this point, I mean, like you said, w- once you went to Rockingham, you were kind of in the headspace of like, all right, I'm doing this. Like, I'm going to pursue this NASCAR thing full time. I know that it's going to take a while and I'm going to have to do some preps and I'm going to have to do some other sports, but like my goal is to cover NASCAR full time. Is that where your headspace is at at this point in time? Yep. I was a hundred percent. Like I, I was like, I'm going to stay in, you know, San Bernardino or, or wherever um, I'm going to move up the ladder and only take racing jobs from now. Like I was like, I'm going to be a racing writer and my dream job, was to work at NASCAR scene because once I got that worked NASCAR, out well, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I would have thought that was years and years and years away. 
but I became like obsessed with NASCAR scene. Actually, this is so random, but um, there was the video game like NASCAR 05 Chase for the Cup or whatever. Yeah, Harvick was on and the cover, yeah. At the start of the game, you um, you race Ryan Newman through like the streets of New York. Everyone knows right? this, yes, yes. Yes, so in before you race him, you pull up to a stoplight next to Ryan Newman. NASCAR scene, yep. You look down and there's a NASCAR scene with mm -hmm. this cover on it or with his face on it, on the cover. So at that time, I didn't know what NASCAR scene was. So I go, oh, NASCAR scene? That must be like the magazine of NASCAR or something. They're like the that's how you found NASCAR. out about NASCAR scene. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> yes, that's how I became a subscriber and everything. Like, oh my gosh. So I was like, wow. So I started subscribing to it immediately. Talk about good marketing, right? Yeah, and, geez. Um, I was like, and then I became, I would read it cover to cover every week. I like obsessed over all the right, like those writers were like gods to me. I was like, man, it'd be so cool to just be like on the NASCAR beat covering. I remember the first time I talked to Bob Pockers, I was like so nervous. I was like, oh my God, it's Bob. You know, now I'm just like, oh, Bob. No, you know, <laughs> uh, I remember thinking that was like freaking cool. Like I went home that day. I was like, I talked to Bob Pockers. Damn. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. You know? Um, not to make you so feel yeah. weird, but like the first time I talked, I legitimately, the first time I talked to you and Bob, I, I kind of felt that way. I wasn't like, wow, <laughs> I talked to Jeff Gluck today, but I was like, Oh, that was cool. Like I saw Jeff Gluck today. It's not to make you feel weird, but like same thing, honestly. Yeah, no, I know the feeling. I totally know the feeling. It's, it's like that before you're in it, it just seems like so magical or something. It seems you know? like unattainable um, almost. Totally. Yeah. Like a, just a different world. And yeah. what really was amazing for me was I decided that I was going to use these opportunities I was getting to do a big feature story. Uh, I can't remember who had suggested it. Someone just said, you know, you should do a story and pitch it to NASCAR scene. Like just see if they'll take a submission, you know, and if not, if they don't take it, send it to somebody else, but try to, while you're at these races, you're going to so many races for the newspaper, but like get some slowly gather some feature material at these holler chats, you know? So I was like, all right, I'm going to do a story about, I can't remember who, how this had been sparked. I maybe somebody had said something, but I'm going to do a story about the race after the race, like the race that these guys get to get to their planes yep. from the track and then fly home and beat everybody else. Like it's a point of pride. Like I've got a faster jet or I got to the airport faster. And I got all these guys talk about it, like their escape routes and how like they bought a faster jet and all this stuff. So I pitched it to NASCAR scene and to my surprise, they're like, this is great. We don't even have to touch it. Like you did a great job on this. We're, we're putting in the magazine. Wow. And I was like, man, I made it to NASCAR scene, you know, like for this one story. Yeah. Um, about, I can't remember, maybe six or eight months later, they end up having an opening. Uh, I got a message from Jenna Fryer, who I didn't know at the time really um, too much, just from a couple races. And she had basically messaged me on this sportsjournalist.com message board. And she's like, Hey, I heard um, this guy, Mark Ashenfelter just left, left NASCAR scene. You should apply. I immediately sent an email to them and they're like, Oh, he like just left like a couple hours ago. Just turn his notice. I guess <laughs> a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, okay. So they fly me out to an interview. I'm still thinking no chance I have at this job because like, they're just doing me a favor. Cause I put a story in and, there's so many more qualified people And you're still out there. covering preps at this point in California. Absolutely. High school basketball, football. Um, yeah. You know, even, even, you know, 
lower stuff than that. Like, I mean, not that there's, you know, not that wrestling or swimming isn't, but I mean, that was the kind no, of stuff I, hear I was you. doing. I hear yeah, you. you know? Um, and yeah, they, they hired me in, in, uh, at the beginning of 2007, it was just like, I cannot believe it. Like I'm moving to Charlotte. I'm going to work full time kind of cover. I mean, it was like, truly, it felt like, like that, that, uh, what was that movie like Rockstar or something where the guy gets to be a lead singer in his favorite band. Um, like I was suddenly in the offices with all these people that I was, and it was, it was really, I'm sure these people were like, Oh my God, this is so bad. Like he's like, what a fanboy. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was like fans of them, like Mike Hembry. No, I, yeah, I get it. Steve Wade was there too, right? Yep. Yep. Um, it was, it was just such a, and like, you know, they were fantastic and the, the work environment there, I I've never been in a situation like that again. Like we would go to, we would, everybody would go to, to lunch together, like every single day, like 10 or 12 of us or something. Be like, all right, you know, like, 30 minutes before lunch. Where are we going today? How about this place? No, I want to go to this place. People would be like, all right. We'd load up like three or four cars. Um, everybody would go there and we'd all just hang out and eat lunch. It was just like the best team environment. At the time I joined, especially like NASCAR scene was like rolling in money. Stop me if I'm just going on too, too much. No, I love this stuff. Keep going. Um, this was like the glory. I mean, they were like printing money because this was pre, we didn't even have a website yet. And like everybody would want to have everybody in the NASCAR industry all, you know, it was booming 2007. And cause this was, this was like the premier source of like news within the industry because the internet, even though it was in existence, NASCAR wasn't really using it to its full advantage yet. So NASCAR scene was still the thing. Well, it was, I mean, people called it like the Bible of NASCAR or whatever, yeah. right? Like it would be, it was amazing to see because you'd go in the garage and they would drop stacks of NASCAR scenes off at each hauler each week. And you would see the crew guys come out and like scurry out and get it and just start going through it. You, I would go in for interviews and you'd see the driver sitting there reading NASCAR scene. It was unbelievable. Like you, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like some big national thing or something uh, like, you know, sports illustrated, but it felt, you felt like so, like, Hey, people are people in the industry or fans like care about what I'm writing. And I don't even think like, it wasn't me. Like people didn't know who I was, but you know, you'd, you'd walk around with like scene shirts on branded shirt and they'd be like, Oh, NASCAR scene. You know, nobody was like Jeff Gluck. Like nobody, I don't think knew my name at the time because I was new and everything, but mm -hmm. um, it was just like scene had such a cool brand and everybody wanted to advertise in it and they were charging a lot and we would go, and we would stay at these hotels that were like, it was like royalty. I mean, you, 2007 for me, it was just, I can't even tell you how glorious it was. Um, I mean, $350 a night hotel rooms, like everywhere we went. Um, we stayed at this one place that some of the, the PR people now, when we go to Sonoma, like the, from the top, top teams or something still stay at like this place called the In Above Tide. It was the only hotel in all of San Francisco, uh, in, in San Francisco Bay area on the water. Like it felt like you were on a cruise ship. You had, each room had a fireplace. Somebody would bring you uh, a breakfast on a tray to each room in the morning. Uh, you ate, each room had a balcony and you would look at, it felt like you were on a like cruise ship overlooking the water, uh, the fog, you could see San Francisco, uh, the golden gate bridge. Oh my gosh. And then you, you know, it was just like, this is ridiculous. This is so ridiculous. <laughs> it's not even real life. And you're getting paid uh, to do all this. Yes. I'm like, you know, going to every track. I, I think, you know, even that first year I did 
probably 30 races. I was single. I didn't care about being home or being away. Um, you know, they would NASCAR scene. They're like, Hey, you know, we know that you guys have to, uh, we know that, that you, you know, it takes some time to get adjusted to time zones. So instead of flying out to a race, like on Thursday, and then just going straight to the track, go ahead, fly out Wednesday, take that extra night at the hotel, explore the area, Phoenix, go have a good time, California. So we'd all, we'd, you know, we'd fly out there. They'd fly like five of us out to a race, five riders a race, all the photographers, we'd hang out, go to dinner. It was, I'm telling you, this is ridiculous. to even think about this now. <laughs> Uh, like the just different of, times. Wow. It's, it's so crazy, but, uh, I, I'm sorry. I've just gone off on like this 20 minute tangent here. But I love were, this. Those I were clearly this. like the glory days. You know what I mean? Of just like the high, high times for me. No dude. Like when I texted you about coming on, um, you said that you'd be willing to, and you said explicitly, like we could tell some stories about the glory days and like all the glamorous hotels and the money that everybody was rolling in and the parties and stuff. So like, this is the meat and potatoes of what I want to hear. Like, give me more, <laughs> give me more of this stuff. Like 07, 08, right when you get to NASCAR scene, like that's, that's the peak. Like it is literally the peak of the sport ever. And you were in it in its heyday. Like I need more of this stuff besides the hotels and the wonderful fireplaces and flying out to all these luxurious locations days in advance. Like, give me some more of this stuff. Like what were you going to parties were you like getting Absolutely. to know all these celebrities? Tell me everything. Keep being long winded. It, it, it was mind blowing. I mean, because, you know, Sprint was putting so much money into the sport, Sprint Nextel. Yeah. Um, and everywhere you'd go, I mean, we'd be on a plane and, you, you know, you'd strike up a conversation or something and uh, they'd say, what do you do? Oh, I said, I'd fly, fly into the NASCAR race this weekend. They'd be like, wow, you know, I, I don't know too much about NASCAR, but I know it's the fastest growing sport. It sounds like a huge thing right now. And that was like the vibe, like everything was just booming. It was totally like the real estate bubble, honestly. Um, every, like you, they could not do any wrong. It, it felt like it, it just the, I mean, you had to get there so far before every race, then the traffic jams, every, every place had just packed sta stands. Um, but yeah, like the parties, I remember like sprint would go all out. The teams would go all, every, everybody that had an announcement, uh, it would go crazy. Um, I remember this one time, uh, Penske was announcing that they were going to have Sam Hornish jr. In the 77 car. Um, they were starting up a 77 car and they wanted to have Sam Hornish jr. In it. Right. So we were at Phoenix and they want to do this announcement at Penske's like fancy car dealership slash museum thing on the other side of the Valley in Phoenix, like an hour away from the track. So they said, all right, we're going to fly you guys by helicopter um from the racetrack to this event so you go to this event and they had like ice sculptures in the shape of 77 oh like my God. you know the fanciest hors d'oeuvres that they're serving you and stuff like you know the alcohol's flowing all stuff. they're like yeah we're announcing sam hornish in the, the 77 driver <laughs> you know it's just like every every announcement was big like that um the media tour back then was crazy uh, you know, you'd go to the children's winery and they'd just wine and dine you and you'd give, you know, they're trying to give everybody gifts and all this stuff. It was, it was just so over the top. Um, the, the one that I, I think I remember the most was uh, the only time I got to go to New York for the banquet. Um, Sprint was really putting a lot of money into it and, and trying to, 
you know, do thank yous for the media or whatever by the end of the year, um, which, you know, at the time you're just like, oh yeah, you know, thanking the media. Like now you're like, <laughs> what were, nobody did. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, yeah. But you took it as like standard back then. But um, so first of all, they had this big party uh, for the whole industry that week uh, at this really fancy nightclub in New York. And part of the deal was back then they would try to get celebrities. So um, they had like DJ AM, um, doing the, like the actual DJing. And he was really popular with like a lot of the, uh, the New York celebrity types. So like Lindsay Lohan came to this party and stuff like it was a NASCAR party. Yeah. Like, but like Lindsay Lohan comes in and she's like hugging DJ AM and stuff. And, um, and then I remember, so they, they, they take us out to like this play, uh, some of the media people, um, and like sprint and Nextel were doing this. And, you know, it's like, it was a place, to, it was a, one of these plays where it wasn't a musical, but a place to be seen by people like, like John Lithgow was in it and stuff. So we're like in line at like the concessions and stuff. And, and we look over and there's this guy in a baseball hat um, after, and it's like Leonardo DiCaprio. We're like, Oh, did you see Leo? Leo's right here. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. We're just on Broadway with Leo, you know, just doing our NASCAR thing here. So <laughs> you know? it's just like, that's kind of stuff that it's, it would never, it just doesn't happen. Unimaginable. You know what I mean? No, it's, and, and of course I took it for granted and I just thought this is how well, that's it was. all you ever knew always be. Yeah. I mean, I just thought I made it, you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, and then, uh, I don't know, I guess two years later or something about after that time, NASCAR scene was done, folded up. And I was laid off and I was just like, wow. Like I just, that happened real fast, you know, at the end of, uh, 2009, it was pretty obvious. We were about to be a jobless, I guess. Professional transition there. You led me right into my next point. Uh, the model was changing obviously in terms of the journalism business while you were there, while NASCAR was booming in its heyday and layoffs happen a lot in this business. I mean, you know, better than anybody else, obviously. Uh, so that happened to you at scene and you were a very early adopter to Twitter and you did that because you thought that it may save your job. It ultimately didn't, but it helped you in the long run. Can you just explain that a little bit more and why you think that you were so quick on the trigger to, to hop on that platform? Well, in 09, uh, it's sort of the beginning of 09, they got Twitter accounts for all of us. And they said, listen, you know, we could tell, you know, print advertising was starting to go down quite a lot. Um, the economy was bad. The writing was so, on the wall. Yeah. Like things were not starting to go very well. And those $350 a night hotels were suddenly turning into crappy motels. <laughs> uh, you know, and it was just two years after I'd started really, you know? So it was like, man, this is, I really see here. This is not going happen right quick. They, they told us that spring of 09, like, Hey, listen, the better you do at Twitter, cause we're like, they were trying to do some deals with it and stuff like cash sponsored hashtags and stuff like the better you do, the better your odds will be um, to move to our website. Once the print, if the print thing goes away, we, we now have this website and, and if we'll deem you like worthy to stick around for the website. Hmm. So I threw myself into Twitter that first year of, of 09 and, and tried to tweet as many updates as I could and followed people. And that was the year I started tweet ups and, um, I just thought this is going to save my job and I'll be able to write for the website. Um, so January 5th, 2010 comes around and they call us all into a room and they say, you know, they're delivering the news that we all knew was, was coming. The print edition of NASCAR scene is no more. However, we're keeping this website and, uh, 
So we're going to read the names of people. Uh, and if you're on this list, go in a different room or whatever. Right. Wow. So they start reading and they go in alphabetical order. It's intense. I, yeah, it was, I, I was, my heart was pounding and everything. And I'm like, I'm seeing who's going in what room and I'm thinking, all right, I'm good. I'm good. And then they'd say Bob Pockris to go in this other room. And they, they were way past the G's at that point. And I wasn't on that list to go in the other room. And I was like, wait a minute, they're not getting rid of Bob. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I knew they weren't getting rid of Bob. There's no way you'd get rid of Bob. Yeah. So then I was like, oh my God, I'm losing my job. Like I'm in, this is the room with people that are losing their job. Oh my God. And like those people left and they're like, yeah, if you're in here, here's your severance package and here's two weeks pay. Sorry. Wow. And I just remember, you know, they gave us like a little bit of time to go get our stuff. Everybody's crying, you know, gave us a box to pack up and they escorted us out of the building and they immediately locked our email account and everything. Like it was, Jeez. yeah. And I drove home and I was like, well, my, my career's over. I mean, even that time it was hard to get into journalism. And, and I've certainly, I was like, certainly I'm not going to get another job in NASCAR. Um, there's just, there's no jobs. I was just like, I'll probably move back home. And I was just like, I'm done. You know, I called my mom and I'm like, I think I might have to move back to Colorado. You know, it was just, it was really depressing. Um, and my entire career has been incredible timing and luck. And it just so happened that you know, I had enough of a Twitter following, I guess the time I had, I think I had like 3000 followers and I tweeted, um, Hey, just want to let you guys know. I just lost my job in NASCAR scene. Everybody knows of anything. Let me know. Um, this guy, Jonathan Norman, who I didn't even know, uh, who worked in marketing in the industry. Um, he had a friend who had asked him, I guess, about, um, starting up a new, some new NASCAR content at this new website. And he saw my tweet, I guess, and, and he referred them to me. And I got a call literally the next day um, after I got laid off. And they're like, hey, we were from this new website called SB Nation. And we're thinking of starting up car content. Would you be interested in talking to us? And I was like, yes, I would, <laughs> sure. And, I'm a, um, and it was just starting. So he was starting to pick up there and they were starting to build up. And so that, that saved me. You know what I mean? Like I, I got on with SB nation and I just started doing a lot of the same stuff and making it my own thing. They're like, you do, we don't know anything about NASCAR. So just go ahead and like treat it like a franchise, do whatever you want with it. Here's a small travel budget, see what you can do with it. You know? So I just, I ended up there and it just kept working out, you know? Wow. That. It's it, it reminds me of um, Chase Briscoe's story in a way where it's like incredible timing, not necessarily giving up, but it's like maybe it's just not in the cards. And then, I mean, you did the story on him as Briscoe is on his way back home. He gets a call from Cunningham. He's like, hey, come drive. And I mean, you weren't necessarily on the flight back home to Colorado, but you were prepared to go home and reevaluate and start over. And then SB Nation comes calling. And like you said, you were able to do a lot of what you wanted there. Um, and you were there for a few years. Uh, you started the Gluckometer, I think, while you were there. I, I don't remember <laughs> yeah. that totally because I think I first got introduced to you when you were at SB Nation because um, that was, what, like 2010, 2012, around there, like that time frame, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I was there 2010, 11, 12, those three seasons. Yeah. Right. So you did a lot of stuff that you wanted. And I remember seeing you like travel to a lot of the racetracks. And I actually read your goodbye column for SB Nation uh, in preparation for this interview. And it seems like you genuinely enjoyed your time there. Would that be fair? Yeah, I, I'd be curious. I, I would love to see what that said. I don't remember it. But yeah, I remember almost like choking up over uh, over leaving. I didn't want to leave and I wasn't seeking to leave. Um, it was one of those other, you know, I remember uh, the motorsports editor, editor at the time from USA Today sat, we went to dinner at Watkins Glen the August before I left. And he's like, hey, like, you know, we'd love to have you at USA Today. Like, I think that, you know, we're going to have an opening. Um, you and Nate Ryan would be a great team. And, uh, you know, I think you should come there. And I was just like, nah, I'm good, man. Like SB nations rescued me, picked me up. I'm happy. You know, I don't make a lot of money. I don't have a big travel budget, but I'm happy here, you know? And I remember even going out to Nate to dinner with Nate and talking to him about it, about why I didn't want to take the offer. And he's like, you're, he's, he basically was like, you're an idiot. Like, what are you, t-? he's like, you could have, <laughs> like, you can make more money, a stable salary. You could have a big travel budget. You wouldn't be having to cut corners. Like it'd be USA Today, yeah. Like which was still, it, you know, major newspaper at the time, and you know, in every hotel and all that stuff. And he's like, "Why wouldn't you do this?" And I'm like, "I just, I'm happy right now. Why mess with it?" Um, and then instead of uh, instead of saying, I guess he had said like, "We want you to interview for this job," at the time. Then that fall, I got a call from the sports editor of USA Today, and she's basically like, "Look." you're our guy. We don't even, you don't even have to interview. We're just offer you the job straight up. Like, do you want to work at USA today? And then I was like, okay, maybe this is like fate hitting me over the head this time. Like maybe I shouldn't be like, nah, I'm good. Like (laughs) I, so I really thought about it at that point. I'm like, okay, I should, I shouldn't pass this up. You know, like I need to, I need to make this move. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, I really enjoyed SB nation. I mean, it was, it, it had that sort of feel sort of like the athletic does now where it was an upstart. Everything was growing. They were hiring. It was new and innovative and like the tech culture, like it, it just felt like energetic it was, and it was on the way up. Yeah. Especially from what I had faced at, at scene where it started to feel like everything was tightening and you were like, Oh, I worried about our jobs. Mm-hmm. So SP nation was great. It was, it was a really awesome experience. Yeah. All right, I'll give you a blast from the past. I'm on your author page on SB Nation right now. I had it hyperlinked oh in my outline. Here okay. is a blast from the past to see where we were in 2012. Tony Yuri Jr. focused on new team, not angry at Junior Motorsports. John West Townley lands top-tier truck ride. Kligerman moves up from Nationwide Series with KBM. Uh, David Pearson, leading the most laps, doesn't matter. Video, Kyle Busch dances to Gangnam Style. Uh, the top 10 diecast cars of 2012 are dot, dot, dot. Uh, and then it's the start times for the 500 and speed weeks for 2013. And then your goodbye SB nation and thanks column. So there's a blast from the past for you. I'll send you your goodbye column after we hang up. Cause it was good reading, but I was, okay. cause I was doing all this research and I was like, Oh, author page. Wow. Are these articles still here? And I was like, John West, <laughs> oh, yeah. Tony Yuri jr. Wow. That is a, that is a hell of a blast from the past. So I hope I made you feel old. Yeah, no, I've, I don't have a problem feeling old these days, Davey. I mean, my hairline <laughs> that for me and yeah. I feel you on that. All right. You mentioned USA Today. Let's delve in there a little bit more. You work with Nate Ryan, Brant James, among some others that were there. And as you mentioned, 
you know, they really wanted you. They sought you out not once, multiple times and didn't even let you interview. They just offered it to you on the spot. So they clearly wanted you. And USA Today, it's a big deal. It's a big newspaper. You're getting paid more. You're getting you're able to travel more. Did it feel different for you when you kind of got your footing there and you were working and, and in the grind? Did it feel different to you than what your stops were at SB Nation and NASCAR scene? And if it did, was it in a good or a bad way? Yeah, it, it was one of those things where I realized so quickly how much in this industry, like the job position matters even more than the person, because mm. I was the same guy who was trying to get interviews at SB Nation and people would be like, nah, you know, we're not going to do that. Or, you know, they just wouldn't pay much attention to me for the most part. When they see USA Today, they say, oh, yeah, please. Everybody wanted to be in USA Today. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like, um, especially that time. It's not anymore, I noticed, but you know, that was when you'd go into the hotels and there'd be a stack of them and mm -hmm. you'd see people reading it on the airplane. And it was like the traveler's newspaper, especially, you know, yeah. um, even more than the website, the print edition of USA Today at the time, still 2013, 14, uh, that, that was really, it felt like you had power. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, I got Denny Hamlin fined by printing just a straight up quote um, and it wasn't even really that controversial of a quote, but because it was in the print edition, the print edition would land on Brian France's desk every morning. And he wouldn't, Brian France would not, I was told would not read anything online, but he would read the print edition of USA Today. And he saw this quote in there and he said, we're finding Denny Hamlin um, for his comments about the, uh, the car of tomorrow um, or whatever. So, uh, no, I guess it was the Gen 6 car. I guess not car tomorrow car tomorrow was Oh seven. Sorry. Gen six car. Um, yes. Anyway. So that cost Hamlin $50,000, uh, because of, of that or whatever. Right. So, Thanks. um, that was the kind of power that you had though. And people wanted to be in it and you know, there was a magnifying glass. I mean, NASCAR would get so much angrier at stuff. I would write uh, mm -hmm. a call, you know, because, you know, they knew Brian France would see it or whatever. And then Brian France would yell at the PR people. Um, but it was just, it was a really interesting experience. Um, and then, you know, working for a paper like that, like when I'd get to go into the headquarters building at the time before, unfortunately, I think they've, they've sold it now and it's really been downsized, but I mean, you're walking to like this high rise building of like all these, I mean, it was like, man, this, it felt like USA today, like big, huge newsroom. Yeah all these major people like big names uh who were writing for the paper and stuff um that was that was really interesting experience and i learned a ton there for sure but i think sort of by the end the last year i was there also uh not to the degree that it was like nascar scene but the the focus was shifting a lot toward online and sort mm -hmm. of like more clickbaity type stuff yeah and it really felt different by the time a, a lot of the I won't say a lot, but some people were starting to leave and they weren't necessarily like replacing them with like high caliber, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess names or whatever. So it, and then, you know, now I think if, had I stayed, um, I, th I don't think I would have had a job much longer. I, I got out on my own, thankfully mm -hmm. at the time, it didn't seem like a good situation to leave. People were like, you're crazy. But I think looking back, it actually saved me from, you know, getting laid off a second time, perhaps like maybe a year later.
Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I want to touch on that and your exit from there. But first, just one topic on USA Today. Uh, I think you wrote this article on jeffgluck.com, which was an unpleasant anniversary. That was July 2016. And NASCAR was not happy with the story you wrote because, as you said, Brian France gets it plopped on his desk every morning. Um, and the story goes, as you tell it, drivers were told about the story you wrote in a meeting. Some of them also weren't really happy. Uh, I think you're on the record saying that Carl Edwards was one of those people. Brian Scott asked you about it. Um, and I know that that period for you had to be very tumultuous and, and a bit controversial, but also, you know, you're trying to do your mix of journalism, which is reporting and, you know, doing the job that you're hired to do while also maintaining the relationships that you've had and you forged over the last, at that point, 10, 15 or so years. And I'm just curious, you know, how you push through that. Um, cause on a personal level, I mean, everybody to a certain extent, but I struggle with being a people pleaser. Um, and like if one person just hates like 1% of anything I did, I feel like I'm the worst person ever. So, you know, how did you, how did you work through that? And, um, you know, like it all worked out in the end, but what was that whole period like for you? Yeah. I mean, I had written a story that was basically just like, um, you know, you look back at it now, I haven't read it in a while, but I'm sure it would be the most mildly unsurprising thing ever. It was basically like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, attendance and ratings aren't what they were like NASCAR is not growing. They're going down a little bit. And I got to say mean? there was nothing that was editorialized in there. Like it was all like facts of like numbers for attendance and, and television ratings and everything. So I agree. Looking back on it now, it's super mild and they didn't really have a leg to stand on. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, they were purely just mad that how dare USA Today um, print this and, 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 you know, say this about NASCAR, that NASCAR is, is sliding downhill a little bit in in 2014 or whenever it was. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they I was told that they they had a, a driver's meeting and um, they held my article up in this meeting and basically said, screw this guy. And drivers were angry in the meeting, including Carl. And, um, yeah, people said stuff to me about it on, on pit road. Like, yo man, like NASCAR is pissed at you. Like some of the drivers are pissed at you. Like, what'd you do, man? Like felt like everybody was looking at me for a while. Um, and I don't even think a lot of the drivers probably even read the article you know, at all. Yeah. But they had been told like, Hey, this guy's attacking the sport or whatever, or, or saying negative things about the sport and we can't have this. So, you know, it, it's, I, you know, I think today's NASCAR, the culture is very different where, um, you know, the executives aren't attacking the media for no bad news. You know, it's, it's very, it's, I think it's kind of, kind of a one eighty since then where they sort of like, okay, like that's, that's fair criticism or yeah, that is happening or you know, but back for a while, I mean, probably the first 10 years of my career, even it was like attack mode. Um, you said something bad about NASCAR. They were going to come after you. Uh, they were kind of try to take your legs out from underneath you, um, and make your life difficult. So, um, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't too fun. And, but, you know, I think you just sort of justify it to yourself as like, Hey, as part of the job, I can't, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat things when things aren't going well, when yeah. things are going well, I'll point it out for sure and say, Hey, this is great. When things aren't going well, um, you know, you have to be honest about it. Otherwise yeah. you're, you know, you're just doing PR. I mean, journalism is, you know, it's, you're not always telling what, what people want to 
want to be told or want yeah. to hear. So, um, yeah, that was a tough, that was definitely tough at, at times there. So you mentioned after, um, you left USA today on your own accord. And part of the reason was that Sarah is going to Albuquerque. Um, so, I mean, I, I get in the sense of like, you may have been leaving regardless, but I think it does say a lot about you, like personally, because you did, I mean, you gave up a full-time job writing in the sport, um, because Sarah, you know, had to go to Albuquerque and pursue her dream as well. Um, but from that was born the legendary website, jeffgluck.com. Uh, I'm curious if you had any issues getting the domain name, like, was there any roadblocks with that at all? Or was there nobody else named Jeff Gluck that had a website? Uh, well, I did not want to name it jeffgluck.com. Uh, <laughs> that was sort of like my last choice. I tried so many different names because you are that, like the most like unselfish person ever. And like naming a website after yourself screams selfish. Yeah. It's, it's very, I mean, it's very arrogant. Um, yeah, it yeah. just comes across as very sort of self-serving, I guess. Um, I really, really, really wanted the name the restart.com and I contacted them. Uh, the, the owners, I like, I found their like name or whatever. And I emailed them. They're like, yeah, we would be willing to sell it. And I was like, oh my gosh, great. Like the, I thought that'd be really cool. Like it almost sounds like sort of like the ringer or the athletic, I guess. Right. Like, yeah. and it, it had the, it didn't scream cheesy NASCAR, you know, um, you know, some, some term, but it, it, it said enough that you would think, Oh, that's kind of cool. That could be a professional site, you know, restart. And it also was restarting my career because I chose to leave. And, right. um, anyway, so they emailed me back. They're like, yeah, you know, um, just pay us like $10,000 or whatever. And I was like, Oh, uh, no, 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 no. I, I was thinking, I mean, I have like a hundred dollars I could give you. I don't have $10,000. Um, so they just never wrote back again. I followed up and I was like, Hey, uh, I could even go up to like $200. No. Anyway. So, um, I just, I was running out of time. I couldn't think of anything though. Somebody said, you know, it's all you, right. It's going to be your brand. Like just build on your brand. Uh, you know, it's, it's not comfortable, but that's probably the best way to go for now, you know? So I was like, okay, yeah. So then I, I called it jeffgluck.com and, uh, man, that was embarrassing the first 50 times, hundred times I asked that, you know, in a press conference. <laughs> well, I was going to say, cause it sounded, you, yeah, you like whispered it. You're like, this is uh Jeff Gluck from jeffgluck.com. You like literally would, whispered it. I really would. I was so embarrassed <laughs> to say it every time. It just never felt comfortable. Um, you know, I mean, the first time I said it was on the media tour and every, the whole room, like I was sitting in the back and I remember everybody turned around, like Steve O'Donnell laughed. And <laughs> I mean, it was funny. It was funny, you know, but like yeah. the thing about it too, was everybody was supportive. Like that. I, I will say that like, I was I, a patron. I went into that. what's that? I was a patron. Yeah, you were for sure. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I thought, all right, I'm going to start this and eventually I could maybe get it built up into like a full-time thing it'd probably take me a year maybe two you know i'm probably gonna go drive uber i i was i had signed up as like a to get the to start the uber process you know i'd gotten the link for it um you know i thought i just have to take some part-time jobs and i can do this and i can get some stuff on patreon and just try to roll um and and it, it was it i got so much support right away like day one by the end of day one, I was like, oh my God, this is going to work. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so that was really the most satisfying, gratifying time of my entire career because it just felt like, wow, 
like you felt like people cared enough. My, I mean, my pitch was like, Hey, I don't know if you guys like my stuff or not, but if you do want me to keep doing, staying in NASCAR, this is the only way to do it because I need a job. I need to, I cannot stay uh, just to go back. I don't think I explained to listeners who don't know. USA Today told me you need to stay in Charlotte. I, I said, Hey, my wife's going to move. Um, she's going to start looking for jobs. She's going to get an internship. Um, and then she, she's going to relocate somewhere, probably not in Charlotte. So can I just relocate and go to the races from there? And the sports editor said, no, you cannot. He said, um, having a NASCAR beat writer, not in Charlotte is like having a Notre Dame beat writer, not in South Bend, Indiana. Um, I disagreed with that because I feel like in Notre Dame, you need to be at the practices and all their games are there and all that stuff. In NASCAR, it's not like we go hang out at the shops. We, mm-hmm. you know, we do most of our work, or at least we did till zoom land at the track, you know, those three days at the track every week is when my, I would get my interviews. Yeah. So I thought, why does it matter if I'm where I'm coming from? But they disagreed. So I said, okay, then I, I quit. So um, they said, okay, bye. <laughs> um, so then I was like, all right, I've got to do something here. So that, that was why I was trying to do something on my own. Um, and yeah, it just, it was, it was so amazing to feel like, wow, people actually want you to stick around. People actually yeah. want you to, they find the value in you being here. And, um, you know, I think the Las Vegas fight video really helped too. Yeah. Um, that was when you kind of blew up for lack of a better term. Yeah. I mean, thank goodness. I feel bad that Fox missed it. Uh, (laughs) Fox has been so nice to me over the years since then, because I I finally told them last year, like, you don't have to put my name on the video anymore. They, (laughs) they credited my name on that video forever because they missed it. Their cameras missed it. And, um, I saw Kyle get out of his car at Vegas and angrily walk toward Logano. I was at that race as a fan. I remember. I'm just like, I'm just going to follow him. I mean, angry Kyle Busch walking down pit road. I don't know where he's going. I had no idea who he was mad at, but I'm like, I'm going to follow him, you know? And then that video being the only video of it, I guess at at the moment, um, it just blew up. And, and like I said, like Fox, everybody aired it everywhere. I sent it everywhere just said just put jeffgluck.com on it if you don't mind everybody's like yeah sure no problem i was like you can use it for free you know whatever um and uh yeah that that really that really helped because that was like two months into my project so yeah yeah it did so overall i mean i think it's really insightful that you said that was like the most gratifying time period for you in the industry because as you mentioned your back's against the wall so to speak and the only thing you have left is the support from the patrons and the fact that you were getting all of these people to support you. It wasn't supporting SB Nation. It wasn't supporting NASCAR scene. They weren't paying for a subscription service or a publication. Like they were paying literally for you and your coverage and your writing. So I think that's that's a really that's insightful. So I thank you for sharing that. But in terms of the work that you were actually doing there, I mean, I think the how how I got here series was amazing. Like that was, I, I honestly like that more than your twelve questions. I loved that series. Um, so overall, the work that you were doing there, similar to SB Nation, you had a lot of freedom there. But with this, like, you had all the freedom in the world because it's literally only you. So the work that you were doing there, on the surface, feels like it had to be some of the the best ones that you enjoyed doing because you could do literally whatever you wanted. Yeah, it was. You know, I think the, the, the part of that, that was really, you just felt this pressure to, um, constantly, uh, like make sure that everybody was happy with you. Um, 
and, and nobody, well, I wouldn't say nobody, but very few of the patrons ever said, Hey, you should, you know, do this differently or, or more of this or whatever, or I demand this. But the bottom line was you felt this pressure. Like these people are paying me yeah, their hard earned money for NASCAR coverage to be at the races, to do this, to give them insight. Like I gotta, I really got to produce here. Like I really got to like do something that they enjoy um, so it was really, it really was about, um, you know, it was nice to be able to, to completely put, I didn't worry about traffic numbers or clicks or anything like that. It was literally like, will they enjoy this or not? Like, will they feel like this was a good use of their time to listen to this podcast or to read this article? Like I only wanted to do, I didn't had no incentive at all to do anything that would be boring to anybody. Um, because I'm just like, you know, or, or clickbaity or to try to trick anybody into reading because that I didn't have any ads on my site. You know, it wasn't about that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it was literally about like, I just want you to enjoy this work enough that you want to keep the work coming so that you would support it if you feel it's worth it. Um, so that was really, I mean, that was such a refreshing time. Um, and, you know, the relationships I formed with some of these people, I mean, I still text with so many of my patrons or, or DM or whatever. Um, and I feel bad that I feel like I don't have the same personal connection with a lot of them was as I did when they felt like, Hey, this is my employee. They would say jokingly, but I was their employee. And this is, I would say, I call them my bosses, you know, yeah, and they were my yeah. bosses. And I'm still on the untitled know, Facebook group. I mean, that's, that's, that's the kind of example of like, I mean, those people, a lot of people from that group made a college fund for my daughter, you know, and, and blindsided with me with it and, and gave me a really nice sum of money to get my daughter's college fund started because they knew that I wasn't saving for retirement. I had no health benefit, you know, benefits. I was on Sarah's plan and um, I didn't have a 401k or anything. And, and so they said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to do this for him. I mean, just stuff like that was just unbelievable. Uh, this recorder that I still use today, uh, similar to your recorder. I think it's the same um, one. Yeah. I mean, I, they bought that for me as a Christmas gift because I had been recording through my, iPhone, like with a mic through my iPhone and it, the quality wasn't great. And so they said, you know what, we're going to get him a better recorder for his podcasts. Um, I mean, just like so such kind gestures, such wonderful people. Um, I mean, I, I call those people still like the grand patrons to my daughter because we, I don't think we would have been able, I mean, this is getting kind of deep, but I don't think we would have been able to have kids at that time without them supporting me enough to feel like I was financially stable. You know, we, we only brought a kid into the world at that time because it was like, Hey, they, they've gave, they've given us a life where I can be like, okay, I'm not going to like, things aren't going to fall out from underneath me. Um, I mean, that's a, that's kind of a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? Like, so those people, like I'll always love all of my patrons for the rest of my life. Really? Yeah. Wow. I never, I never looked at it that way. And I, I bet you never did either until it, it came to it and you had to make those decisions, but Wow. It's interesting to think, you know, like such a huge impact somebody's $5 a month donation could have on many people's lives. Yours, Sarah's, Liliana's, your parents, her parents, like the web is, is insane. And it all just stemmed from people's generosity and kindness that they didn't need to do, but they chose to do. So that's, that's, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I have another question about your website. So I read um, that you were making around like $6,600 per month, which is like 
pretty good, but half of that was expenses. Um, and then with that other half, you have to factor in a bunch of other things that come with everyday life. So this was not a sustainable thing long term. And I think you probably recognize that once you got past like the the first portion, it's like, oh, wow, like this this could work. So when did you actively start, you know, trying to figure out your next step or am I completely off base and, and you weren't looking to do anything else? And you said, like, you know what, I can make this work. Yeah, honestly, I, I actually thought I had pretty much told people and told myself, like, this will be the last job in NASCAR that I ever have. Um, I'm not looking to ever change this up. Okay. Um, like you said, I mean, the, the money that was coming in was really great. Um, and I, I won't, I don't, don't want to do anything to discount that. I, I did want to make sure that I put a lot of the money back into it with traveling, Absolutely. you know, because I thought at least, like a lot of these people, I mean, they're, they're paying so I can get to the race and give them coverage. So I don't just want to pocket it and just sit at home. So, right. I mean, yeah, if I, if I did one less race a month, that would be $1,500 more in my pocket essentially. Right. But I don't want to do that because I don't know. I just thought, I just thought that'd be inappropriate. Right. So, um, and then, you know, honestly, like, I mean, not to get too far in the weeds, but self-employment taxes are not, not super fun, uh, with that. Um, you know, you, you, you lose a chunk there, but I still thought I could, I mean, I was do fine. I was comfortable. I was happy going the amount of race I was going to. Yeah. I really wasn't looking to move at all. Um, the one thing that did hurt was, um, was health insurance and not having the benefits, you know, um, fortunately we were on my wife's, uh, plan, but you know, she had to have, um, enough hours at work to maintain that. And that, they, you know, just having a, having a child, uh, you know, every working parents understand, I'm sure. But, um, with me being gone three weekends, um, a month and, you know, you add, it was probably, you know, probably adds up to like a couple weeks a month. I'm, I wasn't even there yeah. and we had, you know, a young child and, um, she's having to work and, and, you know, um, fortunately we had a, a babysitter that was one of my patrons that lived down the street from us in Portland randomly enough. Um, so she didn't charge us a huge amount, but you know, th that really adds up for a weekend. Um, you know, so I, I don't know how long it, it could have lasted or, or, you know, especially with the pandemic, had I still been doing it, I think about a lot, like my money would have probably been really, you know, it probably would have taken a huge hit. Cause how can you ask people when people are losing their jobs? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Oh, you know, give me five bucks a month for this NASCAR coverage or whatever. Um, when it's just me, you know, maybe I could have just gone to less races or something, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it would have worked, but I, I wasn't move, looking to move at all when the athletic called. In fact, when the athletic called, I, I said, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm sorry. Um, and you did this I again. Yeah, I, you're right. Just like with USA Today. Thought you'd I learn said, your I, lesson. I said, I'd be happy to give you guys names, um, names of people, you know, like a Jordan Bianchi type guy who who would be great, but didn't have, you know, um, you know, he, he was unemployed at the time because SB Nation, he was at SB Nation. They let him yeah. go. Yeah. Um, you know, people like that, like, you know, but I they, they call back again and, and said, let's just talk about this. What, what this would look like. It's so similar. It, it is. You're right. You're right. I didn't even think about that, but you know, I guess the more I thought about it, it's just like having a family and you know, we wanted this, 
I guess it was time in my life where like, I kind of need the stability, right? Like it was time to stop. Um, you know, I, I was having kids. I wanted to have another kid. Like it was time to stop moving around every couple years and, uh, you know, let's get near the grandparents so we can have help and all that stuff. Like it just, I got to a point in my life where I was just like, I need to be an adult now, I guess. And <laughs> I need to stop being sort of selfish with the way I'm traveling and, you know, putting stress on the family with Sarah having to work so much. And, yeah, you know, I, I want to be around my daughter and stuff like that too. So I just, the more I thought about it, I mean, it sounds kind of lame, um, you know, because I was happy and I, so many people had put their trust in me and stuff. And I was like, all right, well, peace out. I'm going to go take like the health insurance now, you know? Um, they get but, it though. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody was understanding. I think people were maybe disappointed, but, um, but I, I really, honestly, the, like the athletic, I, I kind of didn't go into it with a ton of expectation just cause I was like, all right, I'm kind of doing this for the stability. But now that I've been there for almost two years, every passing month, I love it more and more and more. Like I really, really believe in the direction it's going. I really love like the subscription model of it that, you know, again, like we're not it's chasing similar clicks, to Patreon. You know? It is, it is in a lot of ways. It really is because you're just trying to write good stuff and make people happy and make yep. people happy with their subscription and make it worth it to them, the investment they're putting into it. Um, you know, I, of course the, the comments of, Oh, this is behind the paywall This is behind the paywall that can get annoying, you know, but I think the people that do subscribe to the athletic, like all the comments are like, Hey, we love this. Like we feel it's worth it. And that makes you feel good, you know, like, and it's not yeah. and the other thing that helps me, feel less guilty about it too is it's not just me like before they were getting five bucks a month to just me now they're giving probably less than five bucks and they're getting all these like yeah. they have like an expert for every single sports team and every single sport you yeah. know yeah so i'm like that's way more value than these people were doing just by giving something to me some people were giving me 25 bucks a month or whatever yeah. um or more at, at patreon so you know i think this is it's a much uh I feel much less guilty about it in terms of the value that I give to people. Cause I'm like, well, even if they didn't like my story today, there's <laughs> hundreds of others. Hundreds. To look at, yeah. You know? Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, what the determining factors were in your move to the athletic uh, and how that opportunity came about. I read an article actually by Simon Owens. I don't know if you remember this article, but in it, you said that you probably would not take another job with a mainstream publication. And I don't think the athletic is mainstream necessarily, but in terms of sports media, they're like kind of one of the biggest outlets and publications out there. And they're, they're a really, really big deal. And it's anything but clickbait, uh, which you remember that you, you were called the USA today kind of was going towards at the end. Um, so like, besides the fact that the timing was right and everything seemed right in terms of, you know, where you were in your life, you know, you weren't really ready to, to change things up and you're just content to have your website and do your Patreon thing. So why, why the athletic, why them, why did you say yes to them specifically? Well, I mean, they were the ones that were asking, I guess, or offering, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I really, I was at a point in my career after USA Today and I was just like, you know, I, I, I really only just want to control my destiny from here on out. Um, and that's why I didn't think that I would ever go to another job again. I wasn't even saying, you know, I, I guess I said in that article, I wouldn't go to a mainstream publication, but I just thought 
this will be my last job in NASCAR period. Like the, um, doing my, doing my own site. And I, and I feel that way about NASCAR or the athletic now, honestly, a hundred percent when it comes time with the athletics, like, all right, you know what, Jeff, like bye. Um, I don't think that I'll, I mean, maybe, maybe I'll have to, because I'll have two kids in a mortgage or something and I'll have to try to scramble to get something else in NASCAR. But here's the thing, Davey, like I, I just turned 40 last year. Right. And Unfortunately, I've seen a lot of really, really, really respected people in the NASCAR industry um, who have made their entire careers with it. It, it, it really doesn't end well for any of them. I, I'm not sure I can think of one person, one media person who's a writer who went out on their own terms at their own timing. Um, everybody, had, you know, you think of like Amani Dutton, um, Mike Hembry, uh, Mike Mulhern, um, these Jerry Bonkowski, really, I mean, people who had really great jobs in the industry and had been around for a long time. And, you know, the next thing, you know, uh, you know, Kenny Bruce, I mean, they're, they're not going out on their own terms. They're, they lose a job and they're trying to stay in it and they can't find something else. And, you know, I feel like I'm still young enough, maybe, I'm starting to lose, maybe that window's closing, but like if I needed to change professions right now, like, um, you know, I, I feel like maybe I could start over on something, you know, maybe start from the bottom or I don't know, do something social media or I, I don't know. But when you're in your, when you're in your fifties or you're getting close to retirement age and you're just trying to hang on, um, you know, I, I guess I've learned that this industry um, and, and NASCAR you know, journalism, it, it doesn't love you back. So I'm really conscious of that still, even though things are going great now. Um, I just committed to the athletic for, for another two years. So I'm, I'm great awesome. there and I'm really excited about that. Um, but you know, it could be at the end of two years or like, all right, you know, this didn't work out for whatever reason, you know, you didn't bring in as many subscriptions or whatever, as we thought, whatever metric, you know, and maybe they'll let me go. Maybe I'll stay there for 10 more years. I don't know. But it's hard to, um, I don't want to get, fool myself like I did at NASCAR scene when I achieved my, achieved my dream job and then say, oh, wow, I'm surprised that I'm surprised that I'm out. Journalism is yeah. a cruel industry, as you know, trying to break into it and working so hard and sacrificing so much to try to get your, your real big break. Um, it's, it's tough. So I, I guess I don't want to be someone who, you know, is just trying to, you know, ask to sleep on you know, uh, a hotel floor of somebody that has a room to stay for free on a race weekend and just trying to hang on and do freelancing at the end of my career. I, I don't, I'm not saying anything about that, like negative toward those who I love and respect who have been in that position. I just don't want to be in that position if I don't have to be. Yeah. So um, that's why I say, even now, if, if they come to me, you know, two years from now, they're like, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to let you go. I think that my first instinct would be like, all right, I'm, I've had a great run in NASCAR. I've done way more than I thought I would do. I've been really lucky with timing. You know, I had a, I had a good run. Now it's time to say goodbye. So I don't even really think I'm not even sure that I would start up my own thing again. I don't want to box myself in like I did with this, that article, I guess, where I said, I'll never work for another yeah, you know, yeah. big publication again. Things change. Yeah. Um, but as of now, I don't even think I would do my own thing again, just because, what like 
I need to make it bottom line. I need to make it like 27 more years, right. Until retirement. Like we can all retire at like age 67 or whatever or now. Right. And I is NASCAR. What's NASCAR going to look like in 27 years and what's NASCAR journalism going to look like in 27 years. So if that looks sketchy, if that looks like it's not going to be stable, then I don't think it's worth it to try to hang on. Um, if that's, you know, maybe the, the sport's going to go in a, a great direction now and journalism is going to think uh, figure something out. Maybe the subscription model for the athletic is really the ticket and that's the future. And I, I it, it seems like it's really promising. Um, maybe it's not. So uh, if that's the case 10 years from now, I, I just don't want to be, I don't want to be in a bad position where I'm just like trying to just hang on and, and I'm slipping and slipping and slipping. Yeah. We're getting deep here, aren't we? Wow. I'm just giving it, giving you the whole thing here. No, no, no. I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, on one hand, like it's always good to have like a backup plan and also just think realistically at the end of the day, like it's one thing to have a pipe dream and be young and, and ambitious and say, oh, I'm going to be the best NASCAR writer ever. Like, I want to like, I'd be lying if I like, it's kind of embarrassing, but like, sometimes I think to myself, I'm like, you know what? Like one day I want to be in the NASCAR hall of fame because I want to be like one of the best like media people in NASCAR, whether it's print radio, TV, whatever. Like sometimes I think about that. And then sometimes I'm like, what the hell are you saying? You're like the hall of fame. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like I'm realistic about it in some senses, but I'm still at that age where it's like, I can dream. I can like understand that like it's not going to happen overnight, um, and it's going to take a lot of a lot of hard work. But you're at a point like you like you said where you've already done all the hard work. You've already proven yourself, um, and you're starting to you know take interest in a lot of other more important things in your life, like a family and a mortgage and retirement and all this stuff. So it's all like very very well thought out. It's not like you're just like eh, I'm good. Like that, like if people are thinking that's what you're thinking, I think that's completely off base. I think it's more so like you're looking at it logically, reasonably and, and saying to yourself, look, I got to be prepared if shit hits the fan in a couple years to be able to provide and like keep my life and career like afloat. So I'm just covering all my bases. You know what I mean? So I, I understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, because in a weird way too, like this, the whole pandemic and everything, like I'm probably happier being at the track now. I mean, I was out sitting in the rain with you at Daytona when we were waiting for the rain delay for the 500. And I was like dancing in the fan zone. You, you were know blasting I mean? music. Yeah. Like I was so happy just to be there, even in a rain delay, because I think you see the value of it now, like having it sort of taken away from you, the travel stuff, the stuff Absolutely. that I got used to. Um, yep. Every time, like I've only gone to a few races since in the last year, since this started. And, um, every time I've just savored it and soaked it up so much where it's really, it almost feels like someone, and I don't want to, this is a terrible comparison, but it, like almost like a near death experience that jolts you into something. I didn't have a near death experience, but I had, uh, something that I love taking away. No, I hear you. That I know what you're saying. Being at the track regularly and being in the rhythm and traveling, um, you know, sitting where I am right now at home in this, in this room covering these races is not the same as being at the track and feeling like you're, you can, you can control your own destiny by interviewing drivers and, you know, finding the story that somebody else doesn't have. And, um, you know, I, I miss that rhythm and, and that routine. So like Daytona 500 Phoenix championship, 
um, the Indy 500 last fall. And even the, the race I went to in Michigan where there was no fans, um, those are the only races I've been to, but I've just soaked them up and been so, so happy. Like I just, my parents said to me the other day, like when I called them from Daytona, like they could just hear in my voice, like I was just re-energized because it just meant so much to be there. So I'm, I'm loving it. And I feel rejuvenated in a sense, like more toward my NASCAR scene days where, I mean, I, I got pretty bitter in like the USA today days, sort of for some of the reasons we talked about before, like with some of the negativity, I felt like everything I wrote was, you know, getting hammered and people didn't like yeah. me and it wasn't as much fun. And, um, you know, stuff like that. And you're just like, you know, why am I doing this? Screw this. I don't love it. Like when I got into it, I had a passion for it and I loved it. And I, you know, I, and I'm starting to feel that way a little bit again now where I feel more energized about, you know, I, I really like the direction of that NASCAR is going. I feel optimistic about uh, schedule changes and the new car. I don't feel like it's as negative and there's this dark cloud just hanging over everything all the time. Mm -hmm. um, certainly it has fixes it can still make, but um, I feel a lot better about it and it's just more fun again for me personally. So I'm enjoying it. You know, I'm enjoying the season so far. Um, and you know, I, I look forward to the next time I'm, I'm at the track again. So yeah, I'm definitely not like, Oh, like, I don't care if I yeah. lose my job. It's more of just like a survival thing. Like you said, where I just don't want to be, I want to, I don't want to, I just want to go out on my own terms if I can. And maybe it's not, mm -hmm you know, like Carl Edwards did. Right. And maybe he went out too early. I don't know if he regrets it or not. Um, certainly people were like, why did you do that? You know, and still people are like, why'd you do that? But he ultimately got to control his own destiny. He didn't have somebody saying, you know what, Carl, you just can't do it anymore, man. He's like, you know what, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a back marker ride just to try to stay in it. Cause I love it. He just said, you know what, I've had fun. I've had enough and I'm out. So I don't, I don't want to be trying to just as I said, just sort of scrape and, and claw because I've seen it and it looks, it's really painful to, to some of these people who are, who have a lot of pride and should be like, to your point, like NASCAR hall of fame type journalists and to see them getting treated like this at the end, who people who I'd really admire, admired and are still trying to look for work in the industry and just get a, a spare story here and there for like a couple hundred yeah. bucks. Like, man, you know, again, not to be sort of depressing about it, but no, I hear you. That's that's why I feel that way. Yeah, no, it's it's good perspective. It's valuable perspective, and I mean, like we've talked about this this entire episode. Like, you've been through the ringer in more ways than one. Uh, you've seen the good sides of the business, and Leonardo DiCaprio just like staring at you in the face, and you've also seen unemployment staring at at the face. You know, so it's I. That's why I wanted to have you on just to talk about like the industry in general too, like it's just a weird place where we're at right now in a pandemic, like everything's on zoom. It's just, it's interesting and it's different, but I think you've kind of like made a living in being different and like adjusting to the time. So I appreciate all your insight there. All right. We've gotten deep. We've, uh, we've relived the memories and the glory days. Uh, I've already kept you too long, but I have a few more topics I want to hit on. So we'll have some fun here. Uh, this is my second page of my outline. I don't, I only have one page for most people, but you get two, my friend. Oh, wow. Wow. All right, 2011 and 2012, you were named to Sports Illustrated's top 100 Twitter accounts to follow. Do you remember that? Yes, actually, I made it a couple more years even after that. Uh, oh, I shorted was, you. Sorry, which was crazy. That was, 
dude, like when that happened, oh my gosh. Yeah. But yes, I don't know if that, if that was your question, but. Um, yes, yeah. it was. It was just like, how oh. cool was that? And oh my like, God. Interesting to be a part of that list. I mean, the top 100 Twitter accounts in all of sports, like you'd look at the list and it was like, you know, it'd be like Shaq, you know, Kobe Bryant or something. Ronaldo. Like Jeff Gluck. You'd be like, what? <laughs> like, how did I get on here? Um, I think that at the time, SI was really trying to show like, hey, we have representation for all sports. Like, yeah. who's like a NASCAR person that would be good on here? I think Dale Jr. wasn't really on Twitter yet then. No, I don't think no. he was. Um, he would, I'm sure, would have been the the selection or something back then. Or I don't even think, you know, maybe Keselowski wasn't on those first couple of years because he wasn't on Twitter yet. But um, yeah, I, I think I was just, they looked at somebody who was like active on Twitter that was from NASCAR and they're like, yeah. let's just pick this guy. And, and then they came to the next year, like, who did you pick last year? Let's just pick this guy again. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of felt guilty about it after a while, but it was damn cool. Cause you'd like look down the list and you'd be like, oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah. Like it, it, it was, it wasn't even just like sports media, but like the athletes too. And um, yeah, man, that was, I was like, if I never need to like do some sort of resume thing, if I get laid off again next time, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm put putting this like, right on there you know yeah you gotta put that at the top bold it do whatever you gotta do that's that's a lead company right there it was cool um you've covered a lot of really premier events in your day daytona 500s indy 500s chili bowls super bowls final fours i think um let me know if i missed any but just some of your best memories covering some of these insane premier events in america across all sports some of your best memories yeah, I've actually been to six Final Fours, but only as a fan. Um, I okay. started uh, entering the ticket lotteries that they have for like the face value tickets. Yeah, I entered them. Me and my dad entered them probably for fifteen years in a row. We, I think we got six of them. So uh, maybe there one I go. bought off StubHub. But uh, yeah, so I was like going to Final Fours all the time for a while. It was pretty. Crazy. That's cool. Uh, that's a. If anybody doesn't know, you, you can do the same thing with the Masters. I've been in the Masters. Uh, although I, I got a friend that, that took me, um, but you know, there's, there's lotteries where, you know, you don't have to buy your tickets off Subhub. You can get face value badges or tickets to the final four. You, you yeah. send in your money and they hold it ahead of time and they refund it if you don't get it. But, um, that's kind of a cool thing that I'm not sure like a ton of people know about, but, Interesting. um, easily, easily, easily the highlight of my career came pretty early on. It was the super bowl, the one super bowl I covered, um, I was at Rocky Mount still, and I said, you know, the Panthers made the Super Bowl. And I had covered a couple Panthers games that year just by saying, like, hey, can I can I go on my day off and cover a Panthers game, Pep, do a, a feature on Julius Peppers or whatever, who was our local guy? And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I said, can I cover the Super Bowl? Like, um, I'll pay my own way. I'll take vacation. I But I'll send all the stories to the paper. But, like, you guys won't have to pay a dime. Um, I'll put myself up at a hotel, all that stuff. Like, and mm -hmm. they're like, mm, like this really isn't a good arrangement, but you know, <laughs> we do have our local sort of team in the Super Bowl, and we could have local coverage. So, okay, you can go. <laughs> so I go down. This was the Super Bowl where uh, the Jackson Janet Jackson uh, booby incident happened at halftime. Yep. More famous for that than the game, I think. Patriots, <laughs> Patriots end up winning, but. I would say the highlight, I mean, so I go to all the pre-race or the pre-game press conferences like that whole week. I flew down there for the whole week. 
the national anthem press conference with Beyonce. Like, I mean, just, it was crazy. Like all these different things, like the hall of fame press conference, all the stuff. So game day, um, the, like the media center was at the Houston convention center. And, um, like that was where everybody would work out of all week. Uh, it was near, it was kind of like downtown near their basketball arena, far from the football stadium. So you had to go to the convention center and then you had to get on a bus to go to the Super Bowl for game day. So I'm like amped up, like, dude, I'm 23 years old or whatever. I'm covering the freaking Super Bowl. Like I'm getting on the first bus to the game that day, right? Like six hours before the game or whatever. So we get on this bus and they're going to take us to the, to the stadium. We get off, you know, we get onto the highway. All of a sudden we're surrounded by cop cars and like uh, police lights and all this stuff. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? I look out, we're getting a police escort to the Super Bowl. Like motorcycles are driving ahead of us, blocking off the exits. I mean, this is the media bus with like the writers or whatever, right? Like one of the media buses. I mean, like, People are like staring at us like, oh, is that one of the teams or whatever? Is that Tom Brady? No, it's just me from the Rocky Mount Telegram going to the Super Bowl with a police escort, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, just like being there. Uh, and, and I remember this, this, this story, like this is never stuck in my mind. This is, this is when I'll get out for sure of sports writing. But like we're getting we, – the bus pulls up to the stadium and we're getting off and the bus driver says – he looks at us, he opens the door and he says, all right, guys, have fun. And this writer ahead of me, who I actually knew who he was um, at the time, he was this uh, cranky old columnist. And he looks at the bus driver and he goes, it's not fun, buddy, it's work. And I go, God, damn, I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> if I ever get to the point where I'm going to like the freaking Super Bowl in a police escort <laughs> and I can't enjoy that just a little bit, it is time to go like just right in the balls and shove me out the door because if I ever get to that point of bitterness, goodness, like absolutely. Like there's no way, like you should, you, you should, you're in the wrong industry then. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, that moment is always stuck out in my mind. I almost feel, I feel bad that I didn't say anything to the bus driver, like that guy or something, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, that, that, time was just so I, I wish I could have gotten to cover another one I did get to cover an NFC championship game for USA Today a few years later but you know it was a different it's just a different experience because you're you're more of like the professional mode now yeah. like now rather than like eyes popping like I can't believe I'm here you know yeah um it's more of like the job like hey I've got to produce like I've got to get these quotes I've got to do this I'm on deadline mm -hmm. like let's go rather than like I'm at the NFC championship game covering for USA Today you know um <laughs> yeah so yeah, I would say yeah, that's that one's going to be tough to ever top just because especially of how new I was. Oh, yeah. How about uh, a motorsports event that you covered that stands out to you? It, it can be for whatever reason. It can be, you know, anything from Newman 2020 Daytona to your first NASCAR race ever to Indy 500, Chili Bowl, any one specific event that stands out to you in your career. Man, that's really tough. It's really, really tough. Um I, I don't, I hate to go this route because it's not NASCAR. I'm sure there's something I could come up with for NASCAR, but um, for some reason I was, I mean, I was really 
awed and fascinated by the Formula One race I got to go to um, a few years ago. Hmm. Uh, Mike Arning from Stuart Haas Racing, uh, True Speed yep. Communication. They they had the account for they have the account I think still for Haas F1 team as well. And he presented me with an opportunity like, hey, you know, we have sort of a slot where we can have somebody like embedded with Haas F1 team for the entire weekend uh, of our home race in Austin here. Um, you can come to all the team events. You can be in our, you know, like sort of debriefish type stuff. Um, you can be in our, in our garage during practice with the headset on. I mean, stuff access that you just don't don't get you yeah. know like the team weekend kickoff dinner and stuff and so just that whole experience just being because as nascar once seems so far away you know what i mean like the f1 world sort of fascinates me right like the international flair of it lewis hamilton and all this stuff and yeah the way these guys are are just treated sort of like you know celebrities even it's more different vibe yeah yeah um that was really, really interesting. Just to be that behind the scenes with that, uh, to see how it worked, and then to see how the, the how fast those cars were, see how much money is in the paddock, like <laughs> just the luxury. I mean, Davey, like you had this pass, and you had to scan your your credential, weekend credential, in and out of an automated turnstile when you went into the paddock, when you went to the media center. Like PR people could not get in the media center because the only people that get in the media center, you had to have a media badge, scan it, door unlocks, basically goes green. Ding. Like, like the technology, all the stuff that's flowing through there, just wild. So I was just sort of really, that's the only F1 event I've been to. And uh, I was so fascinated by that. I'm really excited for Coda. Um, hope I get to go. I don't know if I will, but yeah, um, that, that track was really cool. I think NASCAR there will be great this year. Yeah, I, I hope I'm able to go as well. That's that's a cool story. I, I still want to get to an F1 race. I know I will one of these days. How did your famous quiet track pictures begin? And how about the was it a good race poll? Were those just things that organically happened and you just happened to take a picture one night and do a poll one morning? Yep. I mean, to both really organic. Uh, I think I, I don't even, I would have to look back on when I started doing quiet tracks. I think, you know, what, what hit me is just... <clears throat> you know, we were always the last people to leave, right? The writers um, on deadline or the last people to leave the track. So by the time you leave, you know, it, it's quiet. And so I'd, you know, sort of walk out and you'd have that peaceful moment. And yeah. sometimes people are picking up trash in the stands or something, but a lot of times it's just really, you know, it is super quiet. Mm -hmm. and you're just like, man, this is so crazy. Like I can walk on the track where a few hours ago, you know, these cars were just racing around it at deafening volumes and high speeds and the fans were going crazy. Like just not even, you know, a week ago or like a few hours ago that was happening. Now it's just totally silent and peaceful, like a park. Um, and I just thought, man, how can I capture this? So I think I just started doing those back even when I had like a Blackberry or something. Um, <laughs> the pictures probably aren't, you know, it's like the, my first one's probably like a twit pick, you know, that doesn't even exist oh, yeah. anymore that yep. you can't even go back and find those photos, but yep, yep, yep. so that was organic. And then, um, the poll was really intentional in the way, in the fact that I was trying to ask people what they thought of the new rules package, which was the low downforce package to start 2016 Atlanta second race of the year. I just thought, Hey, did the news new rules package work or not? Like, what did people think of it basically? So I was at, I just asked them, 
did you think it was a good race? And then since I had asked then, I just thought, well, why don't I ask the next week and then just see how those compare to the last week. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, since I asked the first two weeks, why don't I, you know, so then it, it quickly snowballed. It's just like, Hey, I'll just do this every week because I can actually sort of get like a little trend here of what people like, yeah. what people don't like. So, um, I didn't mean it. I certainly didn't mean for it to become like a thing, um, where like NASCAR is actually like looked at the data and talked about the data in, in internal meetings, I'm told, or something like, like, yeah. Hey, like, look at this, like this kind of track doesn't do as well. Or people like never meant versus, to be that big. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, obviously that's definitely not what I thought would happen, but, um, I'm, I'm happy to keep doing them. You know, I, I think to me, they're really interesting. I I'm, you know, as you know, on my own podcast every week, I'm trying to guess what people think. So, um, it's, it's interesting to see the fan sentiment, what moves it and what people think is a good race and what they don't. All right. I've taken up a lot of your time. So I'm going to, we didn't even talk about Liliana or Sarah or this other lawyer that I found on Google named Jeff Gluck. Who's like the eighth result that pops up when I type your name in. Uh, but that, that'll, will be a different topic for a different day. I got to close by just telling you something publicly that I don't think I've ever said publicly. Uh, but I've told you a couple of times you have done an incredible amount for me personally in my career in the sport. And I'm so, so appreciative of it. I, I legitimately get emotional sometimes thinking about it. I don't know if I'm going to cry right now, but if I do, sorry. Uh, but I, I do, um, I don't know how I'm going to repay you. I will one day, you have my word, but you are just awesome at what you do and you're 10 times better of a person than you are a writer for NASCAR. So seriously, dude, from the bottom of my heart, like everything that you've done to help me, whether you know it or not, simple as like a retweet during a race or hanging out with me when I'm in uh, Portland for a K&N race to, you know, me bouncing ideas off you for stories or like what to say to this person or anything like that to coming on here and rap with me for two hours. I, I really can't thank you enough. Like it's very cliche to say, Oh, I can't thank my guys enough. I really can't thank you enough. You, you're, you are my number one mentor. You, you have helped me in so many ways. And I just, I, I owe my career to you. So from the bottom of my heart, man, I thank you. And I love you. Well, it's, you're, you're very, very, very kind. I, I truly appreciate those words and the sentiment, but, I will say that number one, you, you, you know, you don't give yourself enough credit for all the stuff you're doing. And um, you know, you're, you're an easy guy to help in the sense that I really believe in your, your talent and your future. And I'm pretty sure that at some point I'm going to be like begging you to come on my podcast in the sense that like, you're going to be like a big name in the sport or something like TV guy. And I'm going to be like, Oh, like, you know, do you think I can get a little time? Um, So Everybody, a little get on, Give get you on all my time. the uh, the Davy train while you can. But I also say, <laughs> you you really truly don't owe me anything. And the reason I say that is because I was treated um, the same way by all these people that I talked about, you know, at NASCAR scene and by Jenna Fryer and Bob and Nate, uh, Marty Smith, people who went way out of their way to include me in things when I was like literally a nobody and not even you know, the primary beat, the primary NASCAR writer for a newspaper, like the backup motorsports guy for a newspaper, people were incredibly kind, um, and took me under their wing and said, let's, why don't we include you in our dinners? Why don't we include you in our conversations? 
um, you know, it's just so helpful. So to me, that's how things should be done. And the only thing that you can repay is to sort of pay it forward. And when you see, you know, you get to a point in your career where you're comfortable, you know, helping other young people along. Um, I think that's the thing to do because, um, you know, just keep, keep sort of the pattern going. Um, I, I can't, I owe all those people so much, you know, you can never, I feel the same way you do. Like I can never repay or thank people enough. Like the Jeff Owens who hired me at NASCAR scene, like where would I be without him or, you know, Bill Fleischman or Louis Brewster, like I said, who, you know, hired me at the, at the paper and like all those people, you know, you're nothing without them, without that, them taking a chance on you. So yeah, I get it. I totally get it. Um, with the helpfulness and stuff, but, um, you just gotta, you just gotta keep it going. That just, just gotta be your mission. That's my mission, man. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm at everything I said. I'm glad I didn't cry, but, uh, when I was writing it, I was, I was tearing up a little bit. So I'm glad that I held it together. Um, please give Liliana my best and Sarah my best. And, um, if you are listening to this right now, Jeff may have a second kid. I don't know. I mean, it, any, we're waiting any minute at this point. So, um, again, man, thanks so much. I appreciate it. And, um, We'll have to do it again soon and uh, and have some more stories of some some crazy NASCAR parties in the in the great year that 2007 was. That was awesome. Yeah, you know, I, as we, as we went on, I thought of a couple more. So next time, maybe episode 200 or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, I'll I'll uh, I'll come with some good ones or, you know, war stories of times that I've clashed with drivers or stuff like yes. that. You might you might like some of those. So, I'll I'll save some up for you for next time. Please do. I'll pencil you in for episode 200 in uh, two years or whatever it is. Okay. okay. All right. Maybe, well, maybe 150 then. 150. Let's okay. Right, 150 can work. Okay. We'll, we'll make that work. Thank right. you, Jeff. I appreciate it, man. Sounds good. See ya. And we are back. Woo. Hope you guys like worked out or had a meal and watched a movie or something. Cause I know that was long, but I wanted to give it to you raw, unfiltered, unadulterated because I think that was one of my favorite conversations I've done on the podcast and seriously one of the best guys that I've ever come across, not just in NASCAR, but in my professional life. I seriously mean that. And the words that I said at the end there, that they ring true even now. Uh, Jeff is an unbelievable dude. I think Jordan Bianchi said it on the teardown this past week with Michelle Martinelli. There's a reason that he's so beloved, and I think that's a really, really great way of putting it. So. Jeff, again, from the bottom of my heart, my man, I love you. I appreciate you. And uh, it was fun getting to catch up with you and learn a little bit more about your career. I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart, my friend. All right, quick. We have to do it because it's episode 100, right? Like that's of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. I don't think I've said that for 100 times, but it's been a lot. A little bit early recording this week, so we have a limited lug nuts, but this is the Bristol Dirt Preview Week. I'm not going to get too much into that because it's already been a long time. I've taken up too much of your guys's. Please check out the Front Stretch podcast this week. Stuart and Jessica Friesen were on. We talked to them. We previewed Bristol with Brian Keith, who is a dirt expert, answers a lot of novice questions that I had. So if you're not really super into dirt racing and want to learn a little bit more for this weekend, highly suggest checking that out. Okay. News this week, Truck Series Race at Darlington has a sponsor, Lift Kits for Less. The Xfinity Race at Martinsville has a sponsor, Cookout 250. Kyle Larson's returning to iRacing in the Pro Invitational Series this week, running a Kyle Larson Foundation scheme. He's also being sponsored by Freightliner for the Bristol Dirt Race. 
Nashville Super Speedways adding additional grandstand seating for their race weekend. They also have a sponsor for the Truck Series race in Rackley Roofing. Alex Yance for Justin Haley, Richard Boswell for Riley Herbst. They were fined $5,000 for loose lug nuts. And Marty Lindley for the race-winning truck of Kyle Busch was fined $2,500. Ryan and Allison Ellis have announced they're expecting a child, a girl, their first one in August. Congratulations to them. And rising country star Larry Fleet is going to perform prior to the Bristol Dirt Race this weekend. Oh, man. I'm so glad you guys were along for the ride with me. Thank you for all the memories. Thank you for all the downloads, all the retweets, the favorites, the support. Seriously, I, I don't want to get emotional about it, but I love you people with all my heart. And I can't wait to be back here with you celebrating episode 200 in another couple years. So you've been along for the ride with me this far. I don't expect you to hop off the bandwagon anytime soon. All right. Ah, oh, man. Love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning into Victory Lane. If you like what you heard, if you like the Jeff Gluck interview, please leave me a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud. Wherever you get your podcast, we should be available there for your consumption. I'm so happy that this turned out the way that it did. I really wanted to make it special for you guys, and it's rewarding when I, when I get to do stuff like this. So this is when I would thank everybody else on the show, but it's literally just me. So from the bottom of my heart, everybody listening, I thank you. I love you. Appreciate your support. Stay safe. Stay inside. Keep washing those hands. Wear your damn mask. Get vaccinated. And I will catch you on the flip side. We're in triple digits now. Let's go.